You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We're getting ever closer to that uh, iceberg blowing up the boat here because we're still... Not close enough. Not, not Speed close it up. Enough. Uh, we kind of get our, back to our beloved old Rose here and our flashback sequence. Um, and basically, this is kind of the update of that's the last time Titanic will ever see daylight and uh, we've got um, what is he like weird looking Kevin Bacon basically dropping the F-bomb here um, mm. which I mean can I just say this movie I think was, was rated PG-13 we have the F-word and we're about to see boobs how do we get away with this in 1997 I don't know if you know much about the rating system in the US but it seems very uh, you know over the top in terms of what they were and weren't allowed to show in 1997 yeah I I mean, it must have changed around the 90s because I remember a year earlier than this having a conversation with somebody about, oh, you'd never be able to get away with this in a PG movie, you know, five years ago. But with this, I I do know that you are allowed for like a PG-13, you're allowed at least one F-bomb in the entire movie, like literally one. And there's a funny moment in the movie. I don't know if you ever watched Get Shorty or Be Cool. Uh, I think I saw Get Shorty many years ago. I've not seen Be Cool. Yeah, there's a funny moment in the opening scene of Be Cool where they kind of parody that. Uh, but as far as the nudity goes, like I was under the impression if you're showing any type of nudity, I mean, that is an instant R rating. I mean, it's different. I, I remember as a kid seeing like Rocky, you know, or all these like Van Damme and Stallone movies, and they'd always show their butt in the movie, but that's <laughs> the most you get. But like to have boobs for probably, you know, six and a half minutes here. I, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know how they got away with that in PG-13. I wouldn't think you could get away with that now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I remember Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there's a, a line where they say fucker in it, and that was only, I think, a PG-13 movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I've always wondered about this because I think I remember watching this, as I said at the beginning of this episode, um, that I watched this with my parents and my sister, and of course, you've got boobs on the screen. You're not expecting boobs in a P. Like it's, for us in Australia, we don't have PG thirteen. We just have PG. That's kind of your mm-hmm. recommended for fifteen and under, or like parental guidance for people under fifteen years and under. That's why it's yeah. PG. Um, so of course, you know, you're not expecting boobs. Although I think it does say because um, you'd have underneath the rating, it would say you know mild language, nudity, sexual references, if you know what I mean. So. Um, I mean, ratings ratings are obviously very different in America, and yeah. that's what we can't really comment on. Because I, I know even in Canada at the time this came out, you know, it's weird that in America you basically have PG-13 and then R, but even an R rating, if you're under the age of 18, you could get in. Here in Canada, it was like you had what was called 14A, which is, you know, 15 and under accompanied by a parent. And then an R rating was basically nobody under 18 is getting in. So yeah. I, I'm pretty sure this had a 14A at the time here. Because I think America, they're top one. Like They've got R, but then they've got NC-17, right? So that's mm-hmm. like their Which nobody one. gets NC-17. That's like the kiss of death if you get that rating. Yeah, well, in Australia, we have G, PG, M, which is mature audiences recommended for 15 and under, MA, which is restricted to people 15 and under, and then R, which is 18+. plus. Um, you know, and- maybe we're wrong on this whole, like, it changed in the 90s, because I distinctly remember Matthew Broderick showing his boobs in that shower scene for a viewer as well. <laughs> yes, so. and particularly that scene when he washes his private parts, but he covers the screen up, so yeah. um, <laughs> he's at least polite enough there to kind of get away with that. Anyway, um, yeah, so we, we just random scene of them telling the story again, because we need to realise that this is all being told through old Rose's eyes. Even though half of this story she wasn't there for. Um, but we get into from one iconic scene to another very iconic scene. Uh, they've kissed, they're in love, awesome. Then they sneak back to uh, one of the 300 rooms that Rose has. 
And uh, I honestly thought they were about to do it at this point. I think, obviously, we get kind of a little bit of a, uh, what, a little clip here from the Flash Ford uh, kind of saying the same thing. Essentially, Rose gets a little bit uh, promiscuous at this point. She wants to be drawn by one of his French girls. So what happens? She gets naked. We get to see Kate Winslet's boobs. Uh, we get to see James Cameron's hand, um, because that's not Leonardo DiCaprio drawing. If you didn't know, that's James Cameron drawing mm-hmm. Kate Winslet. Um, and obviously that leads us to the drawing that we saw earlier on when they found it in the safe with the rose around the neck, the heart of the ocean. Sorry, Rose is wearing the, the diamond around the neck. Um, and that's when we get that line um, from Rose, did we do it? There's something weird about hearing an old lady saying, did we do it? Um, and is that the bit where she says it was the most erotic moment of my yeah. life to that point? It, exactly. And is it weirder that her granddaughter is sitting there smiling like, what a great story. Like, that's disgusting. If my grandma's telling the story, I've thrown up six times already. The, the part that I'm wondering is like, it's the most erotic moment of your life till that point. So what else have you done <laughs> since a 17-year-old there, kinky Granny Rose? <laughs> oh, in the 30s, I was involved in many an orgy. <laughs> well, how old would she have been during the 60s in Woodstock? Would she have been, like, in her 60s at that point? <laughs> I just I just love the way they have to just, like, put a little side note to that moment. It's like, you <laughs> dirty little girl, Rose. Um, and just uh, an interesting trivia bit I found about this scene was that um, apparently, uh, this was the, um, the first time that they met, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, after finding out they had to be naked, uh, well, she had to be naked in front of him, Kate Winslet flashed Leonardo DiCaprio to kind of break the ice, so... <laughs> this, he seems like a flasher to me, yeah. <laughs> I just think that's, uh, that's a very funny, like, little, little tidbit there, it's like, hi, I'm Kate Winslet, hi, I'm Leonardo DiCaprio, oh, I believe I'm gonna get naked in front of you, yeah, that's true, here's my boobs, oh, okay, cool, thanks, oh, by the way, we've written that's that scene how- out of the movie, yeah. <laughs> That's how she introduced herself to Sam Ray, uh, Sam Mendes at the Oscars the next year, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you directed American Beauty. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, this was actually the first scene uh, filmed between the two in the entire movie as well. So... Just a couple of little trivia bits there, but... Um, That's an icebreaker for you. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, you know, let's get the naked scene out of the way. I do kind of like, um, you know, the little subtle bits there, because really at this point, after after she's done the drawing, uh, we see kind of... This is almost the... Because we've got to remember, the, a bit of this movie, part of this movie, of course, is the mystery of what happened to the diamond, um, mm-hmm. because that's obviously what Evil Bill Paxton's after. So at this point, we're kind of seeing a few little, um, you know, bits of where it is. Is this straight away where he puts it, she puts it in the trench coat, or am I missing something here? Because she goes back to the locker, doesn't she, uh, the safe, and puts the artwork back in the safe. But I think they still keep the diamond, because that diamond's got to end up back on Jack anyway, doesn't it? No, hang on, no, 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 it's back in the safe, because that's when Cal and... um, What's-his-face steal it later. Never mind, I know this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just also point out, seeing this in 3D, to see Kate Winslet's boobs in 3D, well worth the price of admission. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did watch this on 3D before giving it to my sister, so... <laughs> <laughs> Even you have to agree with me that that scene is worth the 3D. Um, anyway, uh, so at this point, um, this is where they get obviously chased uh, out of the room by... Because this is where Billy Zane, cow, doesn't actually know where she is, right? So it's kind of like... Has he known at any point? <laughs> no. <laughs> Forget Ro- where's Sven. Where's Rose is what Cal's been saying this entire time. <laughs> There's Rose. 
it doesn't quite uh, it doesn't quite work the same, does it? <laughs> Oh. Uh, so yeah, obviously at this point though, um, he said, I've, I've gone blank. What's his name? The, the, um, fuck the, the, uh, you don't know who I'm talking about cause I can't even describe it. I'm going completely dumb here. Um, Lovejoy. Lovejoy. His, thank his you. Servant? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I going blank on Lovejoy? So obviously Lovejoy gets sent to find out where they are. And if we get this sort of chase sequence where, you know, they're getting chased through the boat, Rose flips the bird to Lovejoy, of course. Uh, why not? They go down into the depths of hell. We haven't really even talked about this, like, steam room where these poor men are, like, slaving away, you know, making this boat work. Uh, I mean, do their, like, ancestors think to themselves, like, on brand new cruise ships where they just press a button on a computer? Like, holy shit, they had it bad in 1912. Uh, and this, of course, ultimately leads to them hiding in a car. And we get another iconic scene. We kind of get three quick iconic scenes from Titanic out of the way here. And, of course, you love this scene if you love the boat scene, the bit at the front. Um, we get, uh, of course, um, in the car. Rose sits in the back seat, looks around as if to say, oh, this looks nice. Jack's, you know, on the front being all Jack-like because we know him so well. Uh, honks the horn. Where to, miss? To the stars. And then rips him oh. back. It gets a bit rapey. Um, pulls him back into the back seat. And this ultimately leads to uh, them having sex. Uh-oh. Uh, and the very iconic hand down the glass scene. Can I just point out, I had a friend who was even more obsessed with Titanic than I was. And basically, he used to always quote this movie. And he used to always say, like, to the stars. And then, like, he would, every time, like, one of our windows would be, like, fogged up in the car or, like, in my bedroom or something like that, he would, like, grab his hand and, like, streak it down the window. And he's like, guess the movie. And I'm like, um, die hard. (laughs) Ben... You're you're wondering why you're not married. Maybe it's because you and your friend were imitating the sex scene from Titanic and quoting it at the age of what, 12, 13? Oh, we would have been like 17 or 18. <laughs> oh, it really did hold up for at least a few years, didn't it? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've got really anything to add on this sequence of scenes here through the, the nudity, through to the sex. Um, I mean, you know. Come yeah, let's on. talk about nudity for a second, okay? Yeah. You want to talk about some boobs? Um. Well, in all honesty, that, that this isn't something that, you know, I'm glad that it's come up now. You know, James Cameron, oh, what a gem he is. You know, he's going out there basically criticizing Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman, uh, for not being enough of a feminist. And he claims objectifying Wonder Woman in Wonder Woman when the movie is being praised as like the first real example of a woman portraying a woman in a non-objectified way in an action film ever. And James Cameron wants to lecture her on this. Uh, James Cameron, you're most famous for putting a 17-year-old girl topless on screen and drawing her yourself. You had to put yourself in there to draw it. Like, is he the one to be lecturing people on feminism in films? I don't think so. Uh, outside of that, yeah, it's, it's a group of scenes. It's all, you know, at this point, I mean, let's, let's look at Jack for a second. He's not 17. He's what? Like, do we even know his age throughout this, 21, uh, 22? I don't think, yeah, we've ever get a direct age. He's got to be early 20s here. I know that he's, you know, um, past her age, and maybe that is legal in some parts of the world, Ben, or most parts, you would know. Well, I you questioned me about that. Like, oh, no, let me just pull out the rape Bible here. Um, <laughs> halfway across the Atlantic. Oh, no, it says legal. Okay. <laughs> but, like, let's also not forget that this is a grown man who is basically drawing a 17-year-old girl naked and then having sex with her in the back of a car that he broke into. I mean, 
this is the mother's worst nightmare, and she has reason <laughs> to hate him at this point. So everything that happens to at least Jack from this point on, I say is well-deserved. Oh. Uh, the car scene is so cheesy. Oh, oh, I hate that whole Get off it, Colin Hilding. Easy. How else uh, do you want them to have sex for the first time in view of everybody at the front of the boat when they're going, Jack, I'm flying! So the lookout tower who weren't there five minutes ago are all of a sudden going, oh, check it out, he's bending her over the front! (laughs) Not that I was, like, analysing where the sex scene should have been in this movie. You kind of pointed it out. Like, when they're, you know, doing the the dirty picture, uh, like like the French ladies with the armpit hair... I mean, he should be looking at her for the first time saying, hey, she's naked, I'm drawing her, there's no armpit hair, now's the time to take her. I mean, I don't know why he's waiting to break into somebody else's car. And let's think about the poor guy who obviously is dead by the end of this movie, but if this ship doesn't sink, the poor guy who's driving around in that, you know? I mean, did they clean up after themselves? Like... There's a sequel to this movie that she finds out she's pregnant uh, because, you know, condoms weren't a thing in 1912 from what I gather. Um, you also know, like, I don't know it, if it ever gets cold up. Well, it obviously gets cold up there where your, your car windows fog up. And as a kid, would you ever, like, draw inside the yeah. fog on the car windows? Yeah. You know that you're going to get caught for that later on because it doesn't matter. It, that window can, like, defrost, but then the very next time it fogs, yep. your picture's still there. <laughs> so is this guy going to drive away in this thing later on? Like, That's a very erotic-looking handprint on that. <laughs> Who is in here? I think a 17-year-old girl might have lost her virginity in my car on the Titanic. What's, what's that looks like a 17-year-old handprint there. Um, the thing he said there about, like, oh, he's naked, oh, she's naked, let me take her now. You do realise it's Rose that takes him. At no way does he ever force himself upon her. For all the rebellious things that young Jack does, he's quite a gentleman, really. Well, yeah, he's such a gentleman compared to Cal, though. <laughs> well, how many times? We see, we see Cal hit her. At what point do we see Jack hit her? Maybe they get a bit kinky in the car. We don't see that. PG-13. Yeah, we don't see. The windows are fogged. He was probably smacking around like crazy in there. <laughs> but she asked for it. She enjoys that sort of stuff. <laughs> hit me, Jack. This, Put your hands around my throat. It's a 17-year-old girl we're talking about here. Maybe we should move on. <laughs> We know, I said, no, I'm not going to say that. That would get me into trouble. Uh, <laughs> what were the actors' ages when they made this? Like, I know, you know, they were both probably well into their 20s. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let me just quickly uh, check that for you right now. So, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, born in 1974, so he would have been 23. Kate Winslet, born in 1975, so she would have been 22. So, well, they would have okay. filmed it a year I mean, beforehand, so 21, 22. So. Maybe two years, depending on how long it took. But True. I, Am I the only one, and this isn't a knock against Kate Winslet, but am I the only one who believes that Leonardo DiCaprio is the one that look, maybe looks 17 here yeah. and she looks like 23, 24? No, I agree with that. I've always thought, like, because I think kind of when, you know, years watching this, I never really knew her age, I, you know, mm-hmm. until a lot later on when I would read about it a lot more. But, um, yeah, I always thought that Leonardo DiCaprio looked younger than Kate Winslet. I'm not saying Kate Winslet looks old by any means. I mean, she still looks very young. Um, but, yeah, I Jack's kind of got this... Real boyish look to him, you know what I mean? Well, so. also, and, and again, I said, I remember, you know, watching Growing Pains in, like, that final season as a kid, and I, at the time, you know, I, I thought his character was supposed to be, like, 14 or 13 or 14 or whatever because he hadn't hit puberty yet. It was only years later I realized that he was 18, 19 years old filming that show and hadn't hit puberty yet. So I'm pretty sure Leonardo DiCaprio had previewed very late in life. <laughs> I think he only hit it like around, um, I don't know. 1995. <laughs> no, I later than that. I mean, God, the kid, yeah, he did not age. I think Catch Me If You Can, he still looked like a kid. So, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, um, 
You realise everybody listening to this, you're about to crack the longest ever episode of the Oz Network, and we haven't even got up to the fucking iceberg yet. We're just about to get to it now, alright? This is not my fault, I'm making that very clear. Can we just point out, before we started recording this, I did say to Colin, are you recording this? And he goes, no, no, you can record this one. (laughs) Like, you can host this one. If he had hosted it, we would have been done an hour ago. (laughs) Had I known this would be a six-hour episode, I probably would have just been winging it the whole time. (laughs) We know that White Man Can't Jump's going to go for about eight hours. Uh, (laughs) Deep analysis of each basketball scene. The way the ball bounces at this point is so iconic. Uh, <laughs> but really, at this point, obviously, because um, they come out of the car, almost literally, uh, and they run back up, <laughs> run back up to essentially where they were, what, like, two hours ago, flying, and now all of a sudden just happens to be two people watching. Where were they two hours ago? <laughs> um, that's my they were word. in the car right next to them. Like, their windows were fogged. <laughs> they could see right in. The gay love story of Titanic that's coming soon. <laughs> Um, and I do, I do like these two guys in the watchtower though. And they're like, oh, of course, bloody cold, isn't it? I can smell yeah. ice, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> so I smell young love. <laughs> yeah. we, you can hear like, what does uh, what does Rose say? Like you're trembling or whatever when they're in the car. We didn't even say that iconic line. Um, but I just, you know, we've, we've talked about oh, rich, snooty British people. Ah, oh, we're rich. What about the real like Cockney workers here on the Titanic? Like, oh, bloody cold here, not isn't it? <laughs> like, in the fucking middle of, what, the North Atlantic Ocean with icebergs? I'm going to say it's cold. Um, but, yeah, so at this point, uh, I do like it when they see, like, Jack and Rose making out, and they're like, oh, look, oh, look at this. Like, typical 1912, they get excited over people making out. <laughs> you know, oh, I can see her ankle. <laughs> but, yeah, obviously, though, what do they see? They see an iceberg. <gasps> Plot twist, what's going to happen? I didn't expect this. Like, no, this can't happen. I'm watching a love story in a boat. This is a cruise movie, not a disaster movie. Um, they see the they see the iceberg, and we do get kind of this great sequence of events. You know, he picks up the, the phone. Pick up, you bastards! And then we obviously get the famous line, Iceberg, right ahead! And what happens? The Titanic, spoiler alert, hits the iceberg, and this obviously sets off the chain of events. That's what's going to happen right now. Uh, I mean, it's a great sequence the way we kind of see the, um, the side of the boat ripping and all the water coming in to like, burn the poor depths of hell people. Uh, they're all getting slowly destroyed, burnt, and then they've got to close off all the um, the flood doors. And we kind of get that dramatic scene of that guy sliding under the door last minute, which, I mean, look, I've seen this movie so many times, but still even that scene is like, oh, is he going to make it? Um, and yeah, obviously, as we just said before, if this is Michael Bay, it would have exploded. Uh, but one thing actually that, um, a theory that I was reading and your sister probably knows a lot more about this, but cause obviously a lot of the problem with the Titanic was that the turning, um, wasn't brilliant. Cause we heard that earlier in that little computer animation that it wasn't a fast turner. So when they try to avoid the iceberg, that's why it kind of collides with the side of it and rips a hole in it. Uh, a lot of theories have said that if it had just gone head on into the, t- into the iceberg, uh, which they try to avoid, uh, it wouldn't have sunk. Basically, it would have filled up the um, yeah. the front parts of the flood bit. So that's a lot of the problems that they say with this. That uh, you know, had they just hit hit it head on, they would have been fine. So but the other question you ask is, how bad would the whiplash be for everybody yeah. on board? <laughs> yes, would other seventeen year old girls uh, accidentally lose their virginity without having sex? <laughs> um, what? <laughs> don't, don't don't make me say things like that. Again, this is why Can I, I just remind you, people listening, if you had started the movie when this episode began, you'd be done with this by now. We're so sorry. <laughs> Watch Titanic or listen to two people talk about Titanic. <laughs> There's Sven. 
Um, but anyway, so I, I mean, really, from here though, a lot of stuff does kind of all get lumped together because I mean, you know, unless we're going to talk about every single individual survival story here, um, I mean, we, we sort of get what was when the cap was this with the captain because what was that an iceberg, sir? Um, and then they're all trying. Just reading my notes here. Um, and then we get passengers complaining, why have the engine stopped? Not to worry, ma'am. Um, but then we kind of get this uh, sequence though, where Jack's going to get framed because we see Cal, call the Master of Arms, I've been robbed. Um, and we get them back into Rose's room. Lovejoy sneaks the diamond into the trench coat of Jack's stolen trench coat, which we get our storyline here of, oh, that was reported missing earlier. Oh, I'm so glad that person's got his trench coat back. Um, and I do like Cal's line here when, um, you know, oh, how, how on earth would have you taken the diamond? Maybe it's when you're putting your clothes back on, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So basically at this point, Jack is being framed because Cal knows that obviously Rose is getting drawn naked by this, you know, hussy of an American guy. Uh, they're framing him for the stealing of this, uh, diamond. Rose doesn't know what to believe anymore. (gasps) Oh no, is he really not the man that I think he is? Because I've only known him for a day. Um, (laughs) and then he, Guys, it goes and gets locked up by the Master of Arms. Now, look, again, this is kind of we are the apologetic podcast for Cal Hockley. But in all seriousness, why does Rose ever believe Jack? Because let's be honest, she has known him for a day, uh, and he's a known coat thief. Come on, yeah. yes, that is written deliberately in the script, so we know that he's willing to steal. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm just going to cap it because we can lump a whole lot of these survival bits. It's funny how we've talked so long into the lead up to the sinking, but I feel we can rush through a lot of the sinking scenes. Um, I mean, through what I've gone through, the the actual boat hitting the iceberg through to Jack being framed. Yeah, I mean, the iceberg scene is pretty good. So this is where, and again, I always said I never hated this movie when it first came out. It's kind of... Every time I watched it, it just seemed like it dragged more and more and it was cheesier and cheesier. But I always liked this stuff. And I also had this false memory that as soon as the iceberg hit, it was nonstop action, which really isn't the case. We have a couple of exciting sequences from this point on, but the action scenes that are here are good. So I like the iceberg scene, even though it's, I wouldn't really classify as an action scene. It's more like this this buildup um, you know, to what's going to happen later, the sinking later. But it's handled very well, so I can give James Cameron credit for something. Um, was it Cal that framed Jack, or was it Lovejoy? I think it's, yeah, it it's, is Lovejoy, because Cal kind of, he's the one who, like, gets upset. He's sort of what, like... Mm-hmm. Actually, no, well, it's, it's, it is kind of both, because... Actually, no, it would be more than Cal, actually, because he sort of, he scrumples the paper up, and then Lovejoy's kind of like, oh, come on. Like, he kind of ushers him away, as if to say, like, look, you've got to let her go. And then Cal's like, no, I've got a better idea. So it is actually Cal. Yeah, sorry. I'm kind of thinking in my head there. (laughs) Let's also point out that, again, Cal has paid for this lavish trip for Rose and her mom. He's been a gentleman the whole time. At this point, the worst he's done is flip a table over after she (laughs) kind of ditched him and ran off with some other guy, you know, uh, going out drinking one night. So Cal's still, for the most part, been nice to her. And when she breaks up with him, she could have very well just been like, you know, I appreciate what you've done. Uh, I hope you don't take this out of my poor mother. But <laughs> Sleep with her I instead. fall in love with somebody else. She basically taunts him in her breakup letter. So, so like, how would you react if you're a cow, you know? I, I would firmly say I wouldn't hit her. 
Um, but <laughs> but like no, look, I, I I completely get what you're saying. Um, he yeah. has a right to be angry. Him not pulling a gun later either. But I'm saying, yeah, it, it. But she she's clearly a 17 year old girl. If this was even James Cameron's intent here, but she has no reason to taunt him. It is a little bit cruel, you know, at this point, and what he does from this point on, you know, obviously there's no justifying that, but you also can't justify her intentionally taunting, like, she's basically asking for her mother to be killed at this point, I've gone through that before. Can we, can we uh, just wonder if this was Spider-Man and this was MJ, I mean, she'd have, like, 50 guys coming after her with a gun and wanting to slap her. Oh, yeah, the captain, <laughs> the cockney, uh, iceberg watchers, everybody. <laughs> The guy sliding under the door. I must get to Rose. Sven. Uh, <laughs> Trudy. <laughs> and Victor Garber. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't like the women. Uh. <laughs> he did at this point, I think. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't, but he just people didn't know that. <laughs> get on film. <laughs> what a dashing man. <laughs> Colin doesn't mind that he doesn't like the women at <laughs> <laughs> Uh But, no, I mean, this this whole story, it just becomes... You know, I'll start making some of the Pearl Harbor comparisons now because this is where, four years later, the Titanic fans had just grown up a little bit too much. They didn't realize that Pearl Harbor, all the things that they were critical of, Titanic did it the exact same way. I mean, it is trivializing this disaster with this really... Um, childish love story i mean uh, let's look at what this is this is basically you know girl uh marrying a guy girl runs off with the poor boy girl taunts the guy guy retaliates frames the boy does all this like it's a soap opera storyline so why is it here in this tragic story is there not a more classy way that you could have told this story without having to have this weird soap opera plot and I'm not saying the other. The necklace is there for a reason. I mean, uh, what's the word? Um, they use it often with the Indiana Jones movies. Um, Good, like the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, better. Uh, <laughs> the MacGuffin. Uh, like the necklace is the MacGuffin. It's like the object that drives the plot forward. It's the Ark of the Covenant or whatever. This is very similar to what the Force Awakens did, where the MacGuffin of that was Luke Skywalker, or you know, the 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 map to Luke Skywalker. And if you think about it, they keep bringing it up every once in a while, but the movie can operate without this map to Luke Skywalker. And does this movie need the necklace to do this second half of the movie? I mean, if you had the plot of the necklace up until this point, that's one thing. You have story, you have time to fill. This is one of the most dramatic events in you know uh, the world's history, You know the Titanic sinking. Why do we need this necklace and why do we need Cal with a gun and this framing him and everything? I mean, it leads to maybe one good scene, which I'm sure we'll get to next, where Jack's handcuffed. But there are probably other ways to do this. Like, does the movie need the soap opera stuff at this point? Look, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but also, I mean, I think it's a if this movie was made now, and I think you've obviously alluded to how some of this stuff wouldn't hold up today, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I think this would be done a lot differently today if all of a sudden this had never been made 20 years ago and James Cameron or anybody was like, hey, we should really make a big blockbuster movie that isn't a Nazi propaganda film on the Titanic. You know, like, it's going to be done in a different tone. I think it's more of a case of this is how they were done, and I guess kind of with Pearl Harbor as an example... Uh, that's kind of maybe when they're on their way out. Now, look, I, I can definitely see huge comparisons between Pearl Harbor and Titanic for sure, but I also think there's huge, also huge differences in the fact that Pearl Harbor is way more over the top 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think Pearl Harbor uses as much of the historical accuracies as Titanic does, particularly with a lot of the real life people and also the actual accuracies of, you know, all the minute details James Cameron went to with Titanic, whereas, you know, Michael Bay just got a little bit lazy, um, you know, with Michael Bay, uh, with uh, Pearl Harbor, with a lot of things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see the comparisons. I just think that um, it's. How would how would have you done it like a block like if you don't have this love story between these two and the, the soap opera side of things I don't think this would have been a success because I think what Titanic does very well is I mean to me this I mean it's it's I'm reading here in Wikipedia it's billed as an epic romance disaster film and I think that's important because a lot of people automatically assume Titanic's a love film I also you got to classify it as a disaster film I mean you look mm-hmm. at a lot of, you know, it's, it's a very much a 50-50 disaster film, romantic film. And I think what the film does really well from this point, like you kind of touched on, it's got some great action scenes and you said like, oh, I thought it was all action, action here, but it's not. I think what from now on, this film does so, so well is the build-up to that sinking because I think yeah. now it really switches focus to the human element of this sinking. And if you actually read the stories of, you know, what happened on this boat and... A lot of it kind of ties into how they're portrayed it on the film because, yeah, it's still this love story of Jack and Rose trying to stay together, but just just the little subtle things you're seeing in this film, like, you know, that scene when the mum's there with the two little children and the old couple on the bed and just the stories of survival, like, there's really, to me, from this point on, this film just change, obviously changes tone, but it's just still done in a way that just fits in so well with the overall feel of this movie. And I just, I don't know, I... I, this is to me where this film to me really just lives so well, and I just love this film so much because I mean I, I'm and talking about the love in this film, the romance. I love that side of things, but I just love the the stories that we get from this point. Which are, yes, okay, I know a lot of these are fictional stories, but it's still kind of still trying to tell just the harrowing experience these people would have had to go through at this point, knowing that more than half of these people are gonna die. And I think, you know, I keep saying it's dated and you kind of hit the nail on the head there where you said they wouldn't make this movie the same way now. It's not even necessarily saying it's dated just in a bad way. There are things about this that are dated in a bad way, as any movie from 1997 is. When we get to Face Off, I love Face Off, but that movie is dated in bad ways as anything is. Star Wars has a few things that are dated in bad ways in 1977, mostly the hair, but uh, with this, I think, part of the problem is that I don't understand why the necklace is necessary at this point, and maybe it was necessary in 1997, but even if you look at Pearl Harbor, and I'm not defending Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor is a bad enough movie that it's one of the ones that I went back and re-edited myself <laughs> so that I could try to fix this, and I took basically 45 minutes out of it, mostly the first 45 minutes, but I feel like the love story in this is probably more effective than in Pearl Harbor, but is it more mature? Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, but... It's not more mature, and I think that's the problem I have. You know, you're dealing with characters of roughly the same age in Pearl Harbor, but at least it feels more adult, and it doesn't feel like... I'm not even going to necessarily say the love story, but a lot of the stuff that you're praising to come, there's just as much stuff here where James Cameron feels the need, as I said earlier, and I'll point out a lot of instances, to make everybody in this movie into an idiot. And the only thing I can say that Pearl Harbor has over this, and again, I'm not saying I love Pearl Harbor, I'm saying it has at least one thing over this, is that at least the movie attempted to make the characters, whether they be fictional or real people, into heroes in that movie. There isn't anybody from this point on that's a hero outside of Jack and Rose, and they don't do anything heroic. Because I don't know if necessary, necessarily, and 
I really hope somebody can correct me in saying this, and I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't know if there was a whole lot of heroism on the Titanic. In ter- I'm sure there was. I'm not saying there wasn't, but well, I think- everybody who gave up a spot for you know the women and no, children, yeah, yeah, or I, I get that. The crew I mean, members who stayed there doing the job, the band, you know, yeah, tons of- but, but I mean, we see them for the most part. The, the necessarily people giving up their spots, we don't really see. But I think a large portion of the difference here, and again, I'm not trying to take away from those people you just mentioned. I guess my point is that I think because this was more of a case of of survival, more so than like Pearl Harbor was. A tragic event in terms of the heroes and everything along those lines. The difference here is like you're you're helpless on a ship in the middle of nowhere. There's no rescue. You're, okay, you're either so in a boat or you're dead. Whereas Pearl make, Harbor, you know, you can kind of there's more escape around. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I know so what I'm trying to say in my head, but <laughs> let's make this a modern comparison um, of something similar. Because you could say I, I even thought about the same argument. You know, when I was trying to think about how do I argue Titanic and Pearl Harbor is the same film, uh, but. Pearl Harbor, it is the thing. It's a war story. And, you know, you could compare Pearl Harbor to something like uh, whatever that Nicolas Cage movie, the World Trade Center Nicolas Cage movie. It's about the people who are heroes who are trying to save the day Titanic isn't. It's about the victims who kind of were caught there. You can still take some of those characters and make them heroic. Even if you don't, you don't have to make them idiots, which is all James Cameron does from this point on. If you were to make a movie now in 2017 about Hurricane Katrina or Hurricane Irma or you know any of the other ones going on, and you're telling it about the people who are caught in this, that maybe they died and maybe they didn't, could you portray those characters as being idiots the way James Cameron portrays everybody in Titanic and have people not be insulted? I mean, look, I I see your point, but I don't necessarily agree that everyone here is an idiot. That's just my point here. I mean, well, I can, I'll I, point I, out almost every character that speaks from this point on. <laughs> I mean, there are some for sure, but I mean, like, there's documented ones here. I know, like, the, the that rich guy who kind of sits there on his chair with his brandy and just watches the water come up. What's that, his name and who is he in this movie? What's that, he doing apparently, that's documented. Apparently, that actually happened. There were people so who James did Cameron that. Cameron wants you to read about it in a history book if you happen to come across the <laughs> story of rich man who sits in a room. He doesn't want to tell you the story. Just everybody who speaks or does anything in this is a complete idiot. But I, I think, like, I, look, again, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that there are definitely people there. But, I mean, it's kind of like the, the old couple on the bed is a very well documented. Like, I, I was reading about it the other day. There, I can't remember their names. But that was apparently a very famous documented case that they just stayed on their bed and just, you know, hugged out. I mean, look, this is a very awful comparison. And, you know, bear with me with this one. But it's kind of like if you were telling a 9-11 story and you're trying to focus on the people who jumped out of the trade centers instead of, you know, offering to burn themselves to death, you know what I mean? Like... It's it's kind of I feel that's the side of the story that needs to be portrayed. And while yes, they're not necessarily heroes in some aspect, like as you're trying to say, and I completely get what you're saying. I think also it's important to show these stories of some people who maybe yeah are perceived as idiots, and yeah, I definitely going to hear some of your arguments because I think there are some people moving forward here who are stupid. But at the same time, you're in a situation like that again, where you know it's not like Pearl Harbor where you could just run away from the bombs and you're still on land. You're literally on a boat. It's kind of like if you're on a plane that's about to crash. You've got nowhere to go. I mean, I could not imagine the fear that would be going into your head knowing your plane's about to crash. You can't just walk out the door and go, oh, well, I don't want to be on that plane crash. Similar here. You're on a, you're in the middle of the water. You have to go in the water, essentially, find a lifeboat or risk getting sucked down by this thing. So, I mean, I just think more of the, the stupidity comes down to the ultimate panic and fear, which I think is done very well at the end of this movie. The, the, the sense of fear that must be going Yeah, there's a few people. scenes that are really good that I'll point out. But it's also, why do your two lead characters. I understand your lead characters should be heroic, but why are they so ridiculously over-the-top heroic where they know everything about engineering and they know everything (laughs) about lifeboats and they know everything about drowning with a giant ship? I mean, 
you could have another character in there. You could have, you know, uh, Mr. Italian guy in there. Just any, but Trudy, just have <laughs> one moment where any other character has any brains in their head other than the poor nude paintist and the 17-year-old rich white girl. Well, we know that poor Trudy gets a horrible death scene, which is just completely unwarranted. <laughs> Why? Because she's not Leonardo DiCaprio, she's not Kate Winslet, therefore she's an idiot. Anyway, <laughs> this is why we're going to go for eight hours on this. <laughs> um, we obviously get just sort of in- intertwined here. We get, um, you know, the scenes of uh, sort of all the people involved, the captain and all, uh, you know, Victor Garber and all these sort of people basically saying that, you know, this ship will sink and, you know, it's it's going to go down. This is what's happening. We see the diagram of kind of what's happening. And we get... Um, the, <laughs> I, t- the, I think I told you um, about... A, a video series that used to be popular on YouTube called, uh, you know, Movies in Five Seconds. And mm-hmm. we obviously get Jonathan Hyde's character here, Ismay, when he gets here and he goes, well, this ship can't sink. And then Victor Garb's like, well, I assure you, sir, it can. And it will. Um, it was a very <laughs> famous movie in five seconds scene where they got the Titanic one. People just type in Titanic in five seconds. Colin's wishing we could just do that instead because it would have been over and done with. All it is is literally... This episode will end in five, four, three, <laughs> two, one. They, they literally have Ismay go, well, this ship can't sink. And then you see the ship go, bloop, and you hear this splooshing sound of bloop. And then it's like the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much funny you're watching it than me describing it. Still not any more disrespectful than James Cameron making everybody an idiot. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there's just so many scenes going on here. I mean, through all the passengers not really know what's going on to very nice white starline. Can I just point out, again, random love for all the white starline staff in this point of the movie who just get treated like shit um, mm-hmm. getting punched. The hell with you! <laughs> to, like... <laughs> to, like, getting, like, put that down! Put that down! You can't come up here! I'm <laughs> just getting punched. <laughs> I feel so sorry for every worker of the Titanic moving forward at this point. Um, we obviously just get some intertwined scenes of Captain. They're trying to find um, help, obviously, with other boats. Uh, and we hear that there's a boat nearby that will take them four hours to get to them. Now, apparently, there was actually a boat very close by. I can't remember the name of it. I should really have the historical accuracies here. Um, and James Cameron, I think, spoke out about why he never told this side of the story because it was very well documented that there was a, sh- a boat pretty close by that could have come to their rescue, but I actually thought that um, the flares that were going off the Titanic were fireworks and that mm-hmm. they were just partying because, of course, everybody assumed the Titanic couldn't sink. So they all thought it wasn't real. And I, I also believe this was the Titanic, the very first boat to ever use SOS in Morse code, or I think that's I have some. No idea. You get your sister on the line. Anyway, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I think um, James Cameron's come out and said, I, I don't know the reason why I should really have that on me, but uh, anyway. So, I mean, we're getting a lot of, you know, we see the Morse code, we see the flares going off, and we also, everyone's kind of calm, really, at this point, aren't they? You know, it was the, the, our guy who sits there and watches the water come up to him is like, we're going to put on our top coats and hats and have some brandy. <laughs> why not? Uh, meanwhile, Jack's locked up in the Master of Arms and Lovejoy decides to punch him in the stomach, courtesy of Cal Hockley, because uh, I'm a rich British asshole and I'm going to punch <laughs> you in the stomach. Um, and I, I do like that line, though, when he says, I do believe this ship may sink. And he's just, like, rolling the bullet down the table. I don't know, I just kind of like that scene. Evil asshole Lovejoy. Lovejoy's a good character. Like, I don't care that he's a jerk. He's, he's a good villain. Yeah. 
and he's but he's a bit of a dick there, but it's good. It's good dick. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also I uh, didn't mention the fact that um, we obviously had uh, cow slap Rose at some point here, but um, we, we also we get <laughs> yeah. We put we see him put Rose. I'll uh, we'll go to put Rose on the boat and Rose's mum to get on the boat. And this is where we get the payoff, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, which was about eight hours ago, where the spitting comes in handy because she spits on him and and basically he's grabbing her, like, going, where are you going? To that, to that, what does he say? Like, to him, I'd rather be his whore than your gutterat or your, your gutterat than your whore or I don't know, one of those lines. Runs off. Yay, go, Rose. And apparently, I think I said earlier, um, Billy Zane did not know that Kate Winslet was going to spit on him. So that was all apparently uh, a natural reaction from poor Billy Zane. Where did he expect the whole Hawkaloogie scene to pay off later on? <laughs> and, like when uh, they're when they're literally dangling as the ship's going. Hey Jack, watch! I can hit that guy down there. <laughs> well, I mean, she does take a moment to go. This is where we first met. Shut up, Rose. We're about to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that guy drinking the flask. Get down from there. <laughs> That's why Trudy dies, because she spits on her. <laughs> Poor Trudy. Uh, I'm going to cap this just basically when uh, Rose now is hunting for Jack. She's going through all the corridors. Uh, she f- runs into Victor Garber. How how can I get help? I think Victor Garber has a little bit of a thing for Rose, because he keeps, like, touching her. <laughs> it's a bit of weird sexual tension between Victor Garber and Kate Winslet. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, this is... <laughs> Right. <laughs> this is random white star line getting uh, treated like shit when he goes in when she goes into the elevator. I'm tired of being polite, god damn it. <laughs> and then just like goes down in the elevator. The water comes rushing in and then the white star line, I'm going back up. I'm going back up. <laughs> I just love them. Uh and then basically Rose finds Jack. Oh, you know, find a key. Can't find the key. Goes and gets a um, an axe after punching another guy because he won't help her. Which, again, fair enough to the White Star Line. He's trying to save passengers. And mm. then she punches him. <laughs> the hell with you. I'd be saying the same thing. <laughs> she comes back with the axe and <laughs> blind luck. Literally, she has her eyes closed when <laughs> she gets... She breaks his handcuffs because he's handcuffed to a pipe. I don't think we've mentioned that. Now, I do like the scene when it's like, oh, have a practice swing. I'll see if you can hit the same spot. Okay, that's enough practice yeah. now. Like, All right, enough practice. That's funny, yeah. <laughs> little subtle humour. But, like, can we just please point out that she has her eyes closed when she does... Like, if I'm Leonardo, if I'm Jack, I'm like, dude, what the hell? You had your eyes closed. Yeah, I, I made the exact same note. I put, Could have at least kept your eyes open. I mean, there is definitely an alternate take of this where he's missing an arm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I might cap it there quickly. I think we've lumped a whole lot there. I'm, see, I'm catching yeah. up. I told you I would. Um, but yay, our d- dynamic duo uh, back in each other's arms. And what does she say? Like, I believed you. I always believed you. Why? No, you didn't, you liar. <laughs> so you let them take away a handcuffs. <laughs> uh, there's a line that Cal has, which, I don't know, is it... You probably were the same way. Like, as a teenager, did you reach an age where, you know, the the villain of the movie suddenly became cool regardless of uh, how I mean... I always root for the villain. I'm yeah. always the guy who wrote, roots for the villain in movies. I'm always sad when the villain gets beaten in the end. Oh, really? Darth Vader dies? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> now, I could remember, like, you know, getting to a point where, well, as a kid, I'd watch the Karate Kid movies. And Karate Kid movies are basically, like, the best movies ever about realistic bullying and, you know, uh, how how the proper way to deal with that is. 
And as a kid, you're like, I want Danielson to win. And then I remember reaching a point as a teenager, like, those bullies are cool, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And there's this one line that Cal has where uh, Rose or her mom or something like that is talking about half the people on the ship are going to die. I think Rose saying that to her mom, half the people on the ship are going to die. And Cal says, not the better half. And I just, even at like the age of like 16 or whatever, when this came out, I'm just (laughs) applauding Cal. Like, that's such a great line. I love this guy. (laughs) But... Then I actually really thought about it this past time. He says, not the better half die. Now, that line, James Cameron put it in there because, oh, rich people are terrible, you know. Uh, but let's reverse the roles. Everybody knows somebody out there that just hates anybody with money because one rich person, you know, is terrible and uses slave labor or whatever or is Donald Trump. And they're like, well, all rich people are evil. You know, James Cameron's one of those people who believes that. But let's look at this from Cal. Let's just, you know, kind of improvise here and look at it from Cal's perspective. They're talking about the better half, or he says not the better half dying, implying poor people aren't the better half. If you're Cal, you just spent the better part of the movie being courteous and polite to the poor boy from homeless boy from below deck that's been hitting on your girl for three days until he secretly pulled her away for a rendezvous, drew her in the nude, wearing the gift that you spent your fortune on for her, and then he ran off to sleep with her in somebody else's car. Now, are you going to develop a bit of a complex about poor people? Probably. There's rich people out there that have encountered somebody like Jack, and it's like, all poor people are off. Hey, let me interrupt you here. Let's just say uh, my constant hatred for the French might go along similar lines with you there, so (laughs) please continue. (laughs) So some French man once... Pulled Ben's girl away, seated <laughs> her to a cruise, painted her exactly in the right, exactly right. <laughs> uh, did you ever get the necklace back, Ben? <laughs> Still waiting. <laughs> I'm hoping to find an old lady to tell me the story about where it came from soon. <laughs> tell me the story off camera one of these days, uh, off mic, not camera. You don't want to see us on camera. <laughs> very sweaty at this point. We've been doing this for six hours. <laughs> Take me to the stars, Colin. <laughs> There's Sven. Um, but anyways, I just always, I love that line, but then I actually do kind of sympathize with, you know, maybe he would yeah, have a better opinion of this poor boy if the poor boy had <laughs> maybe reciprocated <laughs> some of the kindness. Be less happy a line. Oh, only half the people live. Oh, hopefully it's the poor people, not <laughs> us rich people, because we're assholes. <laughs> Uh, but, but in this love triangle, you know, he is probably right to say the better half should live and that he would be the better half. Uh, I will say there's very there are a couple of like action scenes here that are really effective. The only, I guess you would call it like drama scene or romance scene that I think really works here is the scene where her lifeboat's being lowered and then she just jumps off. It, it's a really well-played scene. Uh, I think it helps, you know, James Cameron, uh, not James Cameron, James Horner score for this, which we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, I'm not quite as big of a fan of this as most people are. I think that if anybody knows James Horner's work, you know, he did two movies leading into this, which is partly the reason why he got this job. Do you mind if I go off on a bit of a James Horner tangent here? By by all means, it's not like we haven't gone off in a tangent in this movie. So by all means, let's go on the James Horner one, sure. I I don't think it's on the Titanic Blu-ray or anything, but it's on the Alien uh, series Blu-ray for Aliens, which is James Cameron's second movie, the sequel to Alien. And James Horner had really only composed a few movies at this point. And he used James Horner, and they just had a terrible working relationship. And, you know, James Horner tells the story on the Alien DVDs that it was just awful. Like, they wouldn't even speak to each other, that James Cameron just didn't understand movie scoring, and that he was putting these 
ridiculous expectations on him with only three weeks to put this together, and he was changing the cut all the time. And they just basically never spoke to each other and said, we're never going to work together again. Uh, and then what happened is uh, he had done Apollo 13 and Braveheart, which I think are superior scores that James Horner did. And he borrows a lot from Apollo 13 and Braveheart with this. And James Cameron really loved the music he did on those. And at the same time, he heard about James Cameron doing this story, this love story on the Titanic. And he said, I want to get involved with that. And they kind of got in touch again and you know, uh, made up uh, so that they could work together on this score. So it's interesting to think that these are two people who never want to speak to each other again. And just the work that Horner had done leading into this and then Cameron working on this you know, brought them together. And then, they, of course, they worked on like Avatar after that as well. But it's a good score, and I think the music works really well in this at certain points. Uh, the other thing that really works is it's a little subtle thing, but the flares going off in the background as Rose is being lowered, it, it's a great shot. And that entire sequence of it being lowered and them you know, convincing her to go down to the boat's great. And even when she jumps off, like it, it's, a, it's a nice moment. So I can give credit to that. Um, there's... The, the handcuff scene, again, it's an effective action scene, I guess. I did laugh at that moment, so I'm enjoying this a little bit here. Uh, I made the exact same note as I, you mentioned there with the, the eyes closed or whatever. Um, but again, this, this exact scene is in the Nazi propaganda film from 44 years earlier. It's exactly taken from it. Um, I, I, I don't know that... The whole escape stuff after this, uh, like, how far are we going to get here? Well, you've already jumped ahead because we haven't quite gotten up to them here, her jumping out of the boat. But um, there's only a few. Oh, the only, I the don't, only I bit, well, the only bit I just wanted to add that really I like that moment in between where we got to and that bit was just my little dick moment with the White Star line. People, when they bust through that door, and it's like, you'll have to pay for that, you know? That's that White Star property. Shut up! And then I think also that's um, the. We also get the bit where they, they bust through the gate. They punch with that because we see Fabrizio again. They hug. Um, we see Tommy again, and also we get our first sequence of one of the White Star people with a gun, where he's like, "Get back, or I'll shoot you all like dogs." Um, yeah. And a few of the boiler men get burnt. But anyway, yeah, that's basically covered <laughs> everything between. <laughs> We're uh, really rushing over it now. <laughs> yeah, uh, somehow I had my notes backwards here, but I'll, I'll just cover those things quickly too. You know, the the White Star line. That's. One of the examples, it's kind of funny when you watch this movie, you know, realizing it's nothing brilliant now, but it's another example of everybody's an idiot in this movie, and there's another comment somebody makes, so the boats could buckle. It's like, well, they probably would if you just keep loading people on there, you know, and you have all these people just running onto the light poles. These are those moments of panic you talked about, which are great, but I don't know why, you know, they portray these guys manning the boats uh, as being so negative, and you having the one guy take the bribe, and I know that he... We'll get to it later on. He throws it back. But just little things like that that I don't think are necessary in a movie like this where maybe you should be making some of these people heroes because, you know, as you said, they didn't ask for this. Uh, and, you know, I understand these are fictional characters, but why make fictional characters like this that are negative? Well, the gun there thing, was, though, just to interrupt, there was documented cases where some of these people did actually pull guns on the passengers. That actually apparently is famously and, documented. But, see, that's it's the way the scenes played that's my problem because... The note I made for that was that the guy with the gun, that's the only real one of these scenes where it makes sense. Like, these people are rushing the lifeboats. They're all going to die if he lets them all on there. But the way James Cameron portrays it, like, what is he doing pulling a gun on passengers? He's making sure they don't all, you know, dive into this boat and then collapse. I mean, he was saving lives by doing that. Well, the one... Um 
because it's a different one, isn't it, who uh, shoots himself in the head. Um, and what... Uh, I'm just trying to find the guy's name. Uh, so that was uh, William Murdoch, First Officer William Murdoch. Apparently, um, the family of William Murdoch, because that was based on a real character, um, were very, very angry at James Cameron. And um, apparently, James Cameron had to come out and defend this. We're basically... I'm reading here, James Cameron said that his depiction was... Of a not of a man gone bad, of a or of a cowardly murderer. I'm not sure you'd find some sense of responsibility of total devotion to duty today. This guy had half of his lifeboats launched before his counterpart on the port side even launched one. That says something about his character and hero heroism. So James Cameron's weird explanation there about his family was so angry that they did, they betrayed their great great uncle as a <laughs> somebody who was an asshole who murdered someone and then committed suicide. But um, James but, Cameron is. I, I can't even count the amount of other filmmakers and people that he's been critical of. Like he's the most critical person on the planet of other people, and yet he can never admit. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I went a bit too far with that scene. Uh, I want to. I want to talk slightly about the the whole jumping off the boat sequence. But I just want to quickly touch on just on James Horner quickly. I mean, uh, obviously we covered a little bit of him, didn't we, in the Amazing Spider Man? But I mean, look, I think you and I would probably both agree that John Williams is the greatest composer of all time. You know, yeah. he writes the soundtrack to everybody's favorite films. But, I mean, James Horner's up there. I mean, oh, you yeah. mentioned Apollo 13. I mean, my God, I don't get emotional in one scene in movie more so than the launch sequence in Apollo 13 mm-hmm. with that music and just the sterling. Like, I've watched that movie so many times growing up because I wanted to be an astronaut. And mm-hmm. just that whole launch sequence, I can think of the scene right now and it almost makes me tear up. Um, you know, I recently and even when they when they actually land at the end. Oh God, yes, the silence, oh. and then it goes. Yes, exactly. I mean, I recently watched Casper of all silly things to kind of bring <laughs> up, but it, but seriously, the score in Casper is amazing. He did Jumanji, mm. like all these the movies of my childhood. But I will say, like Titanic, like this. I love the score of this film so much. I haven't talked about it. And, like, I've got this... I've listened to this soundtrack, not just the, you know, the... My Heart Will Go On, which we'll get to at the end, but, like, the score of this. And, like, this... I I already said this is a movie I first ever cried in, uh, you know, right at the end. But, like, one other scene that really gets me teary is this bit when she jumps off the boat with that music that it's kind of... like that... And then it's got that, like, do-do-do, like, just it's sterling and... Oh, just the build-up and just when they're in each other's arms. Oh, I love you, I love you. And then you've got Billy Zane. Oh, oh, oh. Like, I don't know. Like, that scene is just... <laughs> and then you've got Wes Fenn. Wes Fenn. It just gets me, yeah. I mean, the I love the bit, though, too, where Jack and, and Cal are just kind of watching her go down. And just that, just even the music in the background. when And Cal's just like, I'll always win, Jack. And just, like, let's be honest, Jack is a bit of a pussy. Jack never stands up for himself. Like, how many times is he with Cow and Cow's been a dick to him? At no point, like, I think there would have been more of a payoff in this movie if Jack at one point punches Cow. Like, I mean, we're meant to be rooting for Jack. We're meant to hate Cow. And, like, we don't really get a payoff, do we, with that? Because Cow kind of is the Weasley evil who guy who kind of sneaks onto a boat later on. But, like, surely for a real payoff for all the 14-year-old girls out there... This needs to be a scene where Jack is like, fuck you, and punches him or something. I don't know. Like, maybe that's just, to me, one thing that really should have happened. I don't want it to happen because I'm Team Cow, but... <laughs> this is weird because I'm going to be defending the movie as you're attacking him right here. <laughs> uh, I think one of the, the few reasons that his character works in this, because it's not a you know brilliantly written character, it's not that well acted, you know, in comparison to other Leonardo DiCaprio performances. In comparison to every Leonardo DiCaprio performance, it's weak. But one of the reasons it does work is because 
he is this guy as questionable as some of the things he does in this movie is. Um, he's the guy who would not respond, you know, to something like this. He's just like, you know what, whatever, it doesn't affect me, and he just sort of lets it roll off his back. I think that's one of the reasons that his character uh, not only uh, endeared to the younger audiences, but even to the mothers watching this movie. One thing I'll just say before we get to this gun chase, uh, there's that little sad little moment there where um, they're getting on the boat and there's that guy there who's saying like to his daughter, like the daughter's like, oh, daddy, daddy, please. And there'll be one for the daddies. Don't worry. There's another one later. Apparently that was like a well-documented line that there was like just, yeah, that's just, that's so sad, that bit. And like, I mean, we can talk about it at some point because we're talking about everything here. But, you know, obviously the whole women and children first policy, which is very famous. We had that line from the captain earlier. And, you know, like, kind of, you were saying before about rewriting history and, you know, trying to make this sort of like a feminist film or feminist feast. Kind of like, mm. can we just ignore about the fact that all these men died, like, because of the women and children first policy? Like, I get the women and children first policy, but at the same time, it's like, how many men died because of this policy? Anyway, that's just... Yeah, and my, my complaint is not, you know, again, it has nothing to do with uh, justifying the way that women are treated. It's about the fact that if you're you're James Cameron, you have to make this such a one-sided story that you're ignoring all of these heroes. And you have that one moment there, there'll be a boat for the daddies, but... The only other thing we see is a guy taking a woman's spot on here. Oh, he's so evil. Well, it's like, well, you got a couple thousand other guys out there that didn't. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, obviously, Rose has jumped off the boat. She's back in Jack's arms, and this is where Cal really loses it. He grabs the gun, because we obviously got this, a scene earlier on with uh, Lovejoy, where he says, I make my own luck, so he's got a gun. So Cal grabs the gun, runs after them, decides to start shooting the shit out of them because why not? We need a dramatic gun battle on the Titanic. I, I sound like I'm mocking it. I actually like this scene. It's, you know, quite good and dramatic. Um, and then I love the chase sequence when he comes down the stairs and he slips on that thing, that uh, the, the top of the, the staircase. I just yeah. think that just, that looks awesome. And whoever that, it's obviously a stuntman. I always kind of watch that scene thinking like, is that just an accident? Did Billy Zane just slip? But if you actually kind of see how it's edited, they cut away and it's not Billy Zane, it's a stuntman. So Arnold Boslu. Whoever, whoever, <laughs> whoever Arnold Vosloo's, you know, Arnold Vosloo, he must have took one for the team there because there's no matting or anything down there. That looked like that would hurt. Yeah. Um, they run off in back into the water and they go back down. But I just love um, Cal's line, I hope you enjoy your time together. And then, <laughs> and then I just love the fact when he starts laughing and then Lovejoy's like, what could possibly be funny? He's like, I put the diamond in the coat. I put the coat on her! Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, it's so... I just love it. It's like, Billy Zane, what what an actor. Why is this guy not credited more as a better actor? Because can we just point out, like I think you said, in terms of the Academy Award nominations this film got, why did Billy Zane not get nominated? He's brilliant and in this movie. I'm not saying he should have been nominated, but even at the time I saw this, I'm like, Kate Winslet's okay, but her dialogue is so bad, you know? And Leonardo DiCaprio's dialogue's worse Gloria Stewart's just annoying in this. <laughs> Billy Zane has a few moments, like that moment where he realized that, where, where it's really solid acting, and he gets no credit. Like, 20 years later, nobody talks about Billy Zane, and he probably gives a better performance in this than both Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. I'm not saying he's a better actor now, but 1997, in this movie, Billy Zane was owning this. And there we go, folks. It's taken 20 years, but we are finally giving Billy Zane credit yes. for Titanic. Billy, if you're listening which you probably are, because I don't know if you do much anymore, so you probably just sit around Googling your name, what's Billy Zane up to, and you're like, oh, somebody's talking about me, I'll come on their show. Uh, come on. give Billy Zane and Arnold Vosler a chance. Yes. 
I like it. There's Sven. Okay, so Jack and Rose are back in the water, because why wouldn't they be? Um, and, I mean, we just kind of get this random sequence here of them having to escape unnecessarily. Like, I, I, again, as I said, love this whole ending. I love this movie. But this, to me, is just like, let's put Jack and Rose in peril again for some strange reason. I mean, they don't need mm-hmm. to be down here again. Oh, let's save a little kid before... Dick father comes along, doesn't listen to it, so we can mindlessly kill a child. I mean, look, again, I know I've just basically said that this is showing the tragedy and the fear of these people at this point, but this one, to me, is like, you're talking about stupid people. This is yeah. dumb. I mean, yeah. like, there's no reason for this to be in this part of the movie. Uh, so that's the only thing I'll say badly at this point. Meanwhile, we're getting a lot of crosses between, uh, you know, the the priests praying everybody there, and, I mean, again, a lot of these things are based off fact um, we've got, uh, the, this is a scene I mentioned before about the mother crying with little children, which is, you know, pretty sad. Um, and then all of a sudden, this is when things are really ramping up in terms of the boat sinking. So we, we heard earlier before from, um, uh, uh, God, I've gone completely blank on his name now. Your, your boyfriend. Why have I gone blank on his name? We just mentioned him. Um, Victor uh, Garver? Thank you, Victor Garver. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, when he was mentioning how it was only going to like sink in like two hours and uh, forty three minutes or whatever it was, and this is where it's really starting to sink. Uh, we've got people getting electrocuted everywhere, uh, boats falling on top of each other, crushing them, um, and just yeah, we all of a sudden get a bit of uh, heated moments too. With we said in terms of the uh, white star line people with guns, and all of a sudden they want to shoot themselves because they accidentally shoot our beloved Tommy. Um, not oh, Tommy. Not Tom. Not Tommy. Why couldn't they kill Fabrizio? Well, just stay tuned. He'll die soon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things here that we don't want to talk about them individually. We're already going for about four hours on this episode. So, but I mean, it's, it's kind of just, this is a real panic sequence, isn't it? Where the water's really coming up. The captain's obviously killed himself essentially by locking himself in the room as well. Um, I mean, we might as well lump for Brit, so getting crushed by the giant funnel as well <laughs> after stealing Tommy's blood soaking vest. Uh, and we obviously already talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the suicide of, um, of Will there. I mean, again, there's not really... I don't want to talk about this individually. You don't want to talk about this individually. I mean, is there anything really here that's standing out to you in terms of these uh, survival scenes, I guess, at this point? I mean, I know I'll say just quickly to interrupt myself too. Obviously, we've got a, a mention, guess, cow here stealing a child to get on a boat, which, I mean, it's actually quite ingenious yeah. if you've got to be honest. But... <laughs> Well, and she has in the world. But, yeah, let's let's think about it. He did save that little girl's life. Like her parents are nowhere to be found, and she wasn't getting on there on her own. So I mean, maybe it was just self preservation on his part. But he still saved the child's life. And he did try you to know? bribe his way onto a boat, which kind of backfired to him. But um, yeah. anyway, but at the same time, like you know, we went through this in our George Romero. Uh, Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead uh, trio of episodes. But All three of which ben, took less time than this one episode. Yes, combined. <laughs> but, Ben, you would be, Cal, bribing your way into a boat oh, right for here. for sure. Like, and stealing we children are, to get on boats. I would be for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, and you know what? How do we know that there's not somebody who relies on Cal? We, we, we get this story in the movie about Rose that, oh, well, her mother kind of needs her and stuff like that. How do we know Cal doesn't have a mother that needs him somewhere, you know? Yeah. We don't know no one people. thinks about Cal's family. <laughs> yeah. And what about all the people that, that, that their jobs depend on this man, you know, wherever it is he's from? And uh, uh, what, where's Lovejoy going to be if Cal doesn't make it out alive? 
Exactly. And Lovejoy kind of dies, but... Uh, <laughs> which I'll, actually, I want to so talk wait, about wait. the scene separately in a minute, because there is a bit more to that scene. Anyway, sorry, keep going. But the fact is, he still did save the little girl's life. Like, should we, be, we should be happy this little girl is alive. Now, if Jack had come up and been like, please, you have to put this girl on the boat, they're like, no, sorry, I gave the rules. And then poor. this little girl dies. Yeah. <laughs> then she dies. Is Jack the hero because he tried honorably? Or is Cal a bit of a hero because he at least got her on a boat and saved her life? Where is this little girl now? Well, the thing that I, I'm surprised I didn't include a scene in, considering that we all meant to hate Cal, why isn't there a scene when he's getting lowered down off the Titanic in this boat of, like, the mother going, he stole my child, he stole my child, I'm not <laughs> on the boat, he stole my child. My baby, my baby. Please someone re-edit the Spider-Man sequence of, my baby, yeah. my baby, as Cal is, like, getting on the boat. Uh, aside from that scene, which, again, at least he accomplished something here. If, if he's a terrible person, is James Cameron wants us to believe, don't have him saving a little girl's life, you know, regardless of how he actually does it, he still does save a little girl's life. Um, you mentioned, like, the captain basically kills himself or whatever. I, we should also mention here that this was, I guess, the honorable thing to do. It's not that the captain was to blame for the situation. The captain goes but down with the ship. Exactly. That's the philosophy. And there was that um, uh, cruise ship, I can't remember what it was called, uh, it was, I don't know, a couple of years ago that, uh, yeah, the one that capsized in Italy. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there were people that died on that. It's not that it sank. It, you know, turned over and there were a lot of people that still died. But the captain was heavily criticized for actually escaping on a lifeboat. And there were audio recordings of people telling him at the time, you're the captain, get back on that ship. 2017, we believe that. So, you know, maybe they could have made a little bit bigger of a deal here with the captain doing this. And, it's just one of these little things like I I'm, I don't want to be like Monday morning quarterback here to James Cameron or James Cameron, <laughs> Mr. Genius. But like there are a lot of little moments like this that I would like if they really explored it or did something more with it, you know, and I just feel like he just it's sort of blinking. It's over. We got to get back to the teenagers who know it all and are the only ones that matter in this entire world, even though they're fictional people. Like, let's give a little bit of a bigger moment to this captain that really his hands were tied throughout this. So I, I'm not even going to say it's a minor complaint. It's kind of one of my major complaints about this movie. And yeah, there are other movies out there that, you know, do focus more on the lead characters. But if you watch them, none of them are really particularly kind to this captain. I mean, he, he does deserve a break. Um, did uh, Fabrizio die? I think I blocked out. Yeah, he gets, he's <laughs> the one who character. gets uh, shamelessly crushed by one of the flumes. Okay, see, so you mentioned these deaths, like him and Trudy, and hey, I don't know... Trudy yet, hang on. <laughs> I, but my, my point is, is that it's not that I haven't seen this movie before. I mean, I've probably seen this movie at least half a dozen times in the last 20 years. That's enough that things like this should stick out, and this is just more evidence of how no character in this movie matters, even though you have three hours and however many minutes to, to even give a tiny scene. I mean... Every single Lord of the Rings movie found ways to make their characters just as important as Jack and Rose are here and also give every other character a moment. And there are tons of other movies that do it in only an hour and a half. And yet there are these other characters here that are, you know, semi-major supporting characters that after a half dozen times of watching this movie and me even watching this past time trying to pick everything apart, I'm like, do they die? I don't remember. <laughs> um, 
I can't really disagree with that. I th- I mean, I can't get the Lord of the Rings reference because fucking I'm still sleeping through those movies. Um, if you started the Lord of the Rings trilogy when this episode began, you would be done Return of the King by now. You'd be up to about the uh, 18th hour of the 17,000th special edition with <laughs> bonus extra features not previously seen in the previous 16,999 editions with extra commentary by Peter Jackson. Um yeah, look, again, I can't really disagree with it. The one thing, though, that I will say that I think is effective with this, though, and I'm, this is in terms of, like, not these side characters. Yeah, like, I guess we joked about Fabrizio before, but it's kind of like you kind of do blink and you miss his death. Although I, I do think, overall, it's probably one of the more dramatic deaths in this film. I mean, Tommy getting shot. It's like, oh, no, not Tommy. Whereas, like, I mean, Fabrizio's getting crushed by a flume. You kind of can't ignore that. Um, yeah. But, like, one thing, though, I think that, Again, going back to my notion of this is just panic, panic, panic. And that's kind of what this is really selling, is that I think in a way you you need to see just random death scenes of these panicked passengers because it's just it, it makes it makes you see the situation more so than if we were just focusing more on the tragic death of Fabrizio and the tragic death of Tommy, yeah. if you know what I mean. If we get to know them more, I just think to lump them in more so with the random deaths of so many of these people, because, I mean, you just have all these people falling off the boat, getting electrocuted. I mean, there's obviously that really famous death, uh, which often gets joked about, but, it, I mean, it's a pretty brutal death when the guy's falling off the back of the boat and he clips the propeller and he spins. Yeah, the propeller um, You know, there's just little things like that that obviously, you know, people remember. But, I mean, just kind of going back to what I was saying, I mean, you, just, you could not imagine the fear of these people at this point as this boat is going up. I mean, as I said, and, likened it to a plane crash. There's just nothing you can do. And maybe that's just where I personally want a different type of movie. Like, I, I'm finding it hard, as critical as I am of this movie, I'm finding it hard to criticise James Cameron choosing to not focus on the panic more or show us these characters more. You know, there's the one scene which... I do find it kind of questionable, the scene with the, the, the mother in bed with the two kids, you know, just sort of calming them. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, you've locked yourself in a room. Like, there are tons of other people who found a way to get up onto the ship and get out, and you just resigned yourself to death. And uh, maybe if we had had one or two extra scenes with these people or more scenes explaining why people would have to do that, it would make more sense. Me personally, I want more of a dramatic movie that is about the fear and the panic here and not about these two teenagers who fall in love after, what, a day and a half, and they'll never see each other again by the time this movie's over, but yet we're supposed to care. Like, it's just, a, maybe it's a personal preference, but I don't want to see a cheapened love story. I want to see something that maybe means a little bit more for such a dramatic event like this. Look, I, I, again, I see what you're saying, but I, I mean, I would disagree with that a lot. I think really this part of the movie, since it hits the iceberg, I think the Jack and Rose story does really take a backseat for most of this. For most of it. I'm not saying all of it. Because clearly the death of Jack, spoiler alert, and, you know, all these other little sequences, we're obviously going to get the random, let's run through the halls and, you know, try and save this kid. Obviously don't. But I think really from this point on, we are seeing that fear. That's just my take on it. Um, and I mean, like, yeah, I get what you're saying about how th- these people could have easily tried to find their way to survive. But I think a lot of that also came down to the fact, as we saw that scene, when like the third class people are kind of getting locked down because it's all about getting the rich people off first. Again, documented cases. I think it's important that they're showing this is just how badly they were treated. Not obviously to the extent, as you were saying before, where, you know, it's like, let's shit all over the rich and show how much they're assholes and while the poor people deserve to live. I mean, again, it's it's similar kind of what I was saying before, something like, if you were to do a, a 
a different 9-11 movie. And again, I'm not talking about this upcoming Charlie Sheen one. I think that's already been released, hasn't it? <laughs> what? Did you not know there's a Charlie Sheen 9-11 movie? Charlie Sheen's no, I'm back. looking it up right now. Okay, I think it's just called 9-11. I think it's, I mean, at the time about this release, it's been uh, released because obviously we're around the September 11th anniversary. Um, but yeah, Charlie Sheen's decided to get back to dramatic acting and apparently there's some movie about him being locked in an elevator essentially on 9-11. So, yeah. And it has a 3.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah, I mean, it's got Whoopi Goldberg in it. Her career's obviously going great guns if she has to be <laughs> Charlie Sheen. Anyway, but, like, if you were to do... I mean, I know there have been, obviously, 9-11 movies. You know, there's that one. There's obviously World Trade Center, United 93. But, I mean, you know, you would obviously... I, I would not... Um, I wouldn't surprise me if one day we're going to get some sort of movie, and I know there's been a documentary on it, uh, based around the people who obviously had to jump out of the building. And, again, it's kind of... It's 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 weighing up that option. It's kind of you've really got no choice. You're pretty sure you're going to die, um, and obviously, you know, for the people in the third class who are kind of right down the bottom of the boat, will they get up? And I guess kind of it would be a case of, do you want to, I guess, quote, die peacefully on your bed, which isn't really peaceful. You're going to be drowning and freezing to death, uh, or risking it and dragging out the death of these children. So I don't know. Like I see both points of it. I just think it's and- kind of. It's again. It's documented cases in history of what these people were doing. Some people just were resi- resigned to die. They knew they were going to die. So this is yeah, how they went out. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, I'm not saying well this movie should have done. I hate when people say this movie should have done this differently, but yet it's a completely different approach. Like what I'm explaining is not what this movie was ever going to be if it was going to be about a love story. Uh, I'm not saying that you should change this movie. There are little things you could do, like. In a three-hour and 15-minute movie, or however long this is, you can take five of those minutes away from the spitting scene and give a yeah, little I, bit I agree. more context. I yeah. agree. And not even, not even development, but just context, just for things like this. Because I, I feel like it, is, it goes by so quickly, and it's sort of blinking. You miss it a lot of these things, uh, not to mention the deaths of important characters. But as I said before, it's kind of just a personal preference. And maybe the other issue I have with this movie is that this movie became so popular for the love story and not even so much for the Titanic story itself that we probably will never have a movie like that. And if we do, it'll be 50 years from now because yeah. this movie's too well known for anybody. If you make any movie about the Titanic, people will be like, well, they already did a Titanic movie. I mean, you just can't do it. When you have a true story like this, there are types of true stories where you could tell them different. Like you mentioned, you can have United 93 and then have World Trade Center and then have, what was that Tom Hanks one with the, the little boy whose mother died in there? Um, oh, extremely loud and incredibly yeah. up close or whatever. And was it, like, it was an Adam Sandler one, wasn't Rain? That was sort of not, but that was... But no, like, yeah, just different styles of movies. And I feel like this movie has kind of forever ruined any possibility of getting a real dramatic kind of true story documentary-like a reenactment of the Titanic, which would be more interesting to me personally. And look, again, I would agree with that because it kind of going back to what I was saying before, when the the ship hits the ti- the iceberg, is that kind of, you know, a lot of people, I feel, ignore the fact that this is a disaster movie. And mm-hmm. if, if you look at, I guess, a list of most successful disaster movies in history, this is number one. Um, because this technically has to be classified as a disaster movie. Because again, as you said, if you take the romance out of this, it's it's nothing more than a disaster. It's, you know, it's um, what's the the famous uh, the the um, the movie with the boat that goes upside down? Um, oh, Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon. Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially the Poseidon Adventure with a love story. If you know what I mean. I mean yeah. So yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, we're getting sidetracked here. One thing, actually, I just wanted to. I mean, 
obviously, again, based on everything you're saying in terms of a real dramatic story about this tragedy that is the Titanic, I mean, you've got to also understand, like, with all the amount of panic and everything that's going on here, 1,503 people died on this damn boat. That is, that is incredible to think that number. That is such a high number. And, I mean, only about 700 people survived. To put that into context, on 9-11, uh, 2,996 people died. So, it's nearly double. But, obviously, there were four separate attacks on 9-11. This is just one boat. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just crazy to think that. And just... That's why I this second part of the movie just after the sinking, just with all these chaotic scenes of survive of like trying to survive. I just think this is where to me it's very effective. Just watching a lot of that and just to put that into context of how many people literally died on this damn thing. I mean that's just so tragic. And we're getting back into the movie here. I mean this really again we basically just get to the boat sinking. It's about to go underwater. One thing I just say with Lovejoy though. You see that scene of him uh, kind of hanging on as the boat's splitting apart and as the power finally goes out and he's got blood all over his face. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a deleted scene where he does confront uh, Jack and Rose again and they get into a fight and I think Jack punches him or headbutts him or something. So There's I, your punch! I mean, I, yeah, well, there it is. I haven't actually seen it. I've just read about it. But, like, uh, that's why. Because I, I think that's always... I've always looked at that scene and gone, why the hell has he got blood all over his face? But in a way, I kind of then always assumed, well, the boat is kind of splitting apart right in front of him. So, like, a splinter or something like that would have, you know, got him. But, uh yeah, there's a bit of context there that uh, apparently James Cameron just cut because it just slowed down the flow of the movie and you're just saying about all these, like, random oh. scenes of spitting and everything and James Cameron's worried about this three-hour and 20-minute <laughs> movie being too slow. Um, and I've got to mention the poor death of Trudy. I'm sorry. Like, I, I still mean, don't know who Trudy is. <laughs> I just, I just, I know I said this earlier on, but, like... Of all the characters, like, you're talking about these random ones, like, oh, the tragic death of Tommy and Fabrizio. Oh, no, not Fabrizio. Like, Trudy, again, just, she's up there with Sven in terms of the most random person that I shouldn't give a shit about. She's a poor little maid that's treated like shit, and yet we've just got this random scene where the boat is, like, basically vertical, and she's, like, hanging on to one of the uh, railings, and you hear, like, you wouldn't know who it is, because, again, you don't know who Trudy is. But, like, you hear this person say, hang on, Miss Trudy, and then all of a sudden she lets go. It's like, ah! She, like, <laughs> falls to a death. It's like, why of all people does Trudy get this tragic death? It's like, mm-hmm. why, Trudy? Are we just going to cut randomly back to um, England and see Sven, like, tripping over and hitting his head on the curb? Oh, the tragic <laughs> death of Sven. Um, it's just so out of place. Poor Trudy. Um... The boat goes vertical, uh, it sinks all the way down. We should mention the band, uh, obviously, famously, uh, the Titanic, the band kept playing, which is, I do like the little scene between all of them, and it's like, oh, they never listen to us anyway. <laughs> they just, like, keep Can I on. tell you a funny story about this? Please do, yes. Uh, it was probably, like, a figure of speech, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, knowing the story of the Titanic, and somebody at one point referred to it as, like, the band played all the way to the bottom, you know? And it was obviously just a figure of speech, but I swear I was 13 or 14 years old before I finally clued in. Like, that's probably just a figure of speech. Like, I visualized for, like, seven years of my life up until the age of 14, the band members still playing, like, half a mile down to the ocean floor. And I'm like, what would be the point of that? I just didn't understand it. <laughs> Dumb uh, me. Yeah, no, it's funny. We all have those moments, Colin. There's Sven. Um, one thing I should say, just quickly before the book goes, just, again, going on my point about sort of, like, the, the tragicness and the fear of everyone here, there is this sort of this slow sequence where you see, like, the body floating through the water and the plates, like, falling off and just, I don't know, I just think it's a very kind of 
a sad scene. It just kind of just it just takes you into this moment again of everybody kind of losing it and all this sort of stuff. And we also get the um when the mother's like reading that poem or whatever it is, and you kind of get more slow motion moments. Like that's when the old couple's on the bed and everything along those lines. That's when you see your beloved Victor Garber changing the time on the clock as he's obviously consigned to death. Were you crying at that point? Victor Garber, Thomas Andrews is about to die. No, but I do have a question for James Cameron, if you're listening. Uh, Hi, James. Why is it because he's just Victor Garber and there's no way you can make him unlikable, but why is he the only rich guy or man responsible for this that is given a positive treatment in this movie? He's not given like a great treatment in terms of he has any real importance to the story, but he's the only one that the movie isn't going out of the way to make a complete idiot. Why do you think that is? Um, well, reading a lot on the history of it, I think he was documented as actually, I guess, feeling guilty about it. And the fact that he was, um, I mean, there was lots of reports of different things that he was doing here. There was reports that he stayed in the smoking room to gather his thoughts before then he actually went out and continuously assisted with evacuation, throwing out deck chairs into the ocean for passengers to use his floating devices. And just apparently it's just documented that he sort of felt remorse for this. So he was going out of his way to try and save people. Whereas somebody like uh, Jonathan Hyde's character, Ismay, like we get that scene of him where he kind of sneakily gets on the boat and then he's mm-hmm. kind of, he, like he hides himself and then he gets lowered down. Apparently that was well documented that um, he actually uh, was a bit cowardly and um, the press absolutely ripped shit into him because he survived. And apparently when he got back to New York, he was just completely ripped into by the press and that he mm-hmm. was to blame. So I, I guess it's kind of, that's more historical fact that essentially it was documented that his character, Thomas Andrews, was more heroic than some of the other people. That would just be my guess why he did that. Although there are tons of heroic rich people that James Cameron decided to make into <laughs> idiots in this movie. <laughs> Have we actually mentioned at all the fact that um, Molly Brown and, and uh, Rose's mum survived? They're on a boat at this point. I don't think we mentioned that. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't case- matter because they're not 17 years old and know everything <laughs> about engineering and physics. Now we get obviously the big uh, dramatic scene of the boat going down. Of course, we get the just fucking shut up Rose moment of, Jack, this is where we first met. It's like, really? Again, I think I mentioned it before. There's a great video on uh, YouTube of the how it should have ended. And um, there's just this scene where, like, she says that. And then, like, the animated Jack character's like, really? We're just about to die? And that's what you think of? And it's like, I was trying to be romantic. And it's like, well, clearly you don't know me. This isn't the time, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so true. Like, I mean, you know, that's, that's not appropriate in most cases. Not when, like, 1,500 people are dying around you, Rose. <laughs> But the boat gets sucked down and we kind of get this, like, speech by, you know, as you were saying before, these kids know everything about everything. So all of a sudden Jack knows what to do when a big boat gets sucked underwater. Oh, it's going to have a suction. Just keep swimming um, towards the top and don't let go. Now, can I just point out here, angry moment of this movie when he says, I won't let go. Yeah, Rose, don't let go. (laughs) All right? Listen to Jack. Don't let go. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, the boat gets sucked in. How the fuck do they swim? That is a fucking huge boat. Now, I'm sorry, but how can two little kids swim basically to the surface in freezing water? We already got that explanation earlier on about that. That's going to hit you like knives. Um, and yet, for some how they can outswim this boat, which is just sucking everybody down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, they obviously swim to the top. 
Um, it's, it's it's kind of a very harrowing scene, isn't it? Just seeing like that long shot you get of everybody in the water again. You just imagine that panic after the boat's gone, and he's you know a couple hundred people just floating around in the water screaming. Um, and we get the scene of Jack punching another survivor <laughs> because he wants to get Rose. And fair enough, it's like you know everyone's panicking. You're going to be grabbing everybody and using his flotation devices. So Jack's a bit of a dick here. Let's be honest. <laughs> Um, and for some reason, they find a floating door or whatever the hell that is, driftwood. Nobody else sees this. Am I the only one that only, like, the big... Well, one guy does, and then Jack basically <laughs> kills him. <laughs> the big question mark that has always been in this movie, and we'll talk about this, I feel, separately, because I think there's a, a valid answer to this, is, you know, it's always talked about, why the hell doesn't Jack also, there's plenty of room for both of them on this door or whatever it is. My biggest question is, is we just literally saw... A guy trying to use uh, Rose as a flotation device. The panic, as I just said, surely there would have been people looking at the fact that Jack has just discovered this piece of driftwood. He puts Rose up there. Why isn't there like a hundred other people now swarming around them going, fuck, there's a piece of driftwood, everybody, for yourself. Yeah. And swimming yeah. over it. Like, no one notices this. Um, but, yeah, so they basically float around on this uh, for a while. Uh, and they have this, you know, very romantic speech about, you know, oh, I met you, I'm so glad I met you, I'll never let go, I'll never let go. You fucking let go in about five minutes, you stupid woman. Um, we also cut between the lifeboats, and uh, Molly Brown, of course, is saying, we've got to go back, there are our husbands out there. Um, and uh, I think the White Star Line very intelligently says, they'll swarm the boats, like, don't be stupid, which I think is true. Yeah, I... Um, I do want to talk about that one, so don't let me forget it. No, I won't. Uh, and I think a lot of um, the the fame around Molly Brown's uh, real life, like what happened to her, is that um, she apparently, with a bunch of other women, commandeered another lifeboat from one of the actual White Star people and went back to get the, the men. So apparently that was why she was called like, the unsinkable Molly Brown as part of it as well, not just because every boat she went on sank. Um but, yeah, so and apparently a lot of people question why that wasn't shown properly, the fact that she actually took over a boat. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of shown when she's questioning this man. What does, he, what does he say? Like, if you don't shut up, there'll be one less person on this boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. Um, and eventually they kind of cut away. It gets a little bit quiet. A lot of people have stopped talking. Um, Rose is just singing, Come Josephine in my flying machine. Why not? And here's the scene, the first scene that I ever cried in in a movie. And I still hate Kate Winslet for this scene, you stupid bitch. Um, no, I do like Kate Winslet, that's a bit mean. Um, uh, we see the boat return, and of course, uh, Rose is all like, Jack, the boat's back, Jack! Oh, that, I really shouldn't do that, it really hurts my throat. That, that was <laughs> pretty good, that sounded pretty accurate. But back to uh, impersonations, as I was saying with me and my friend. Uh, whenever we used to go to a swimming pool, we used to play Titanic, and... Uh, <laughs> We used to float around in the water going, come back, come back. That's <laughs> <laughs> again why we had no friends. Yeah. <laughs> Still both single to this day. <laughs> uh, I don't know about him. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, he's gay, so um, probably not. <laughs> about to get married, so that's uh, in Australia. Anyway, but um, hopefully, fingers crossed, vote yes. Um, but, <laughs> shut up, Ben. We, we, she's still holding on to Jack. We've gotten this whole never let go speech before. And she rolls over and she's like talking to him and he's dead. Jack's dead. And she's 
like trying to decide what she should do. Should she die with him or what should happen here? But she decides, no, I've got to live. I'm Rose. I've got to be on a vote in like 80 something years and talk to Bill Paxton and weird looking Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so after saying that she'll never let go and even saying, I'll never let go. She fucking lets go. <laughs> For some reason, Leonardo and that is the only reason that Jack is dead. <laughs> For some reason, Leonardo DiCaprio is made of like lead or something because he sinks. <laughs> Why does he sink? Does he body other... not just like float up ten seconds later? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Every other person was wearing a life jacket. Jack was the only one too cool for a life jacket, so maybe that's why. Um, and then, of course, she jumps in the water, grabs a whistle, blows a whistle, the boat hears her, she gets rescued, fade to the future. Now, uh, before we kind of get to the closing bits here, I, I know you want to talk about the, um, the, the Molly Brown bit of the boat. My thing with the whole theory around both of them could fit on that piece of wood, James Cameron actually came out fairly recently. I think it actually might have been around... Uh, when they re-released this in 3D, because apparently he'd remained silent on this for a long time. But he basically said it's a it's a matter of ballast. It's like, yeah, there's room for the two of them, but if you actually logically think about that, two people on that and keeping the balance of that would not have worked. Uh, and I actually, you actually look at it, there's not as much room on that as people, I think, give it credit for. I honestly agree with that. I think that both of them would not have fit on that and kept afloat. Uh, another theory is people say, well, why didn't they take it in turns? How's that going to go down? Like, Jack at one point, okay, Rose, my balls are frozen now, can we swap? Um, I think kind of that in itself is a bit of a stupid idea. The only one that I have, and you just said it, I think is why the hell doesn't Rose at least give up her life jacket to poor Jack? Like, mm-hmm. and even why doesn't Jack steal one of the people he's just punched? Like, Yeah, exactly. He killed a man. Take his life jacket. That's my biggest question here. It's not whether or not they would both fit on that piece of wood. It's why doesn't Jack have a life vest? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, again, first movie scene I ever cried in. It's tragic. Fucking stupid bros letting go. You broke your promise. Anyway, Colin. Um, I will say the... I don't know how long it runs for. It's probably only like 10 minutes, if that. The actual real sinking sequence, like once it gets into it and doesn't stop until it's sinking, that is amazing. And uh, I remember I hadn't seen this movie for years, like maybe seven, eight years. Uh, And when I got the 3D one, I'm like, well, maybe it'll actually be better. You know, I can watch this in 3D. It'll be a better experience than watching on TV or whatever. And I was so bored for the entire movie. And when it got to this, like I was really like on the edge of my seat and when it goes under like i'm holding my breath i do that um, too i literally see yeah. how long i can hold my breath for yeah and i'm not even doing it consciously it's just it's it's you know something that just happens when i watch it so it, it's that stuff is great i don't think we needed another three hours he could have just done that you know <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to the tiny boop <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um i mean i i can't really take anything away from that you know, other than the fact that it's just really still bothers me now that Jack and Rose know everything, like you said. I mean, he's basically going step by step of all the stuff that we only know now you should do. None of the people on this ship, let alone some homeless, you know, poor pencil sketching artist, uh, is going to actually know all of this stuff about physics. And that Rose knows everything about engineering. It just, after a while, it just gets so old. There's no reason why James Cameron couldn't have had another character say something or even they overhear somebody say oh this is what we should do and it's just every single smart thing that's done in this entire movie is only the two characters there's another moment which uh we missed that camera when it was when they come up and they ask somebody here we were supposed to go and this old man goes it's this way follow me and they basically run away from him and they don't even follow <laughs> the guy you know uh, it's just 
it's it's all about these two characters and i get yes you know it, it really won over a lot of young people these two characters won over a lot of young people but you have so many other wasted characters in three hours you didn't have to sacrifice this story to get more out of people is it just bothers me that they're so know-it-all smart and they're right about everything um <laughs> The sinking is really good. Like I said, the, the the moment where he punches the guy, he literally just killed a man. Like here, it is about preservation. He could have just been get off of her or pushed her off. There is no reason for him to punch the man and basically knock him out in the freezing cold Atlantic. That man is dead right after that. Uh, Karma. That's why he dies. <laughs> yeah. Jack is a serial killer, but and yet Cal. Okay, yes, again, I'm not justifying it, but Cal slapped Rose. Jack killed a man. <laughs> it's only and, a man, though, Colin. That's fine because he hit a woman. <laughs> it's sexist and domestic abuse. It's you know not oh, okay. It's an innocent man. Like we're talking about how the panic. You really sympathize with these people. If we're sympathizing with them, then why are we allowing Jack to kill this man? We should be like that poor man. No, he's dead. He's dead at the hands of Leonardo DiCaprio. We need how- we need like um uh, Inception sort of flashback or something going on here or like a a Family Guy sort of thing where it's kind of like I don't know the the the, the side story of who this guy was. Yeah, uh, exactly. If they're ever going to do it like a, t- a sequel to t- Titanic, they just need to do a sequel, and it's just this guy's story. America's <laughs> most wanted. The the poor artist on the ship that stole the richest man in America's girl <laughs> stole the most valuable jewel in the entire world stole a man's coat and then killed a guy in the water for no reason uh it also does bother me he's too cool for a life vest this isn't something just for titanic but whenever there are these big scenes where there's a lot of people to keep track of in it uh directors will tend to take their lead characters and just have them look a little bit different you know maybe the color of their clothes are different or uh, they won't be wearing a mask or a helmet or whatever it is. And in this case, it's life vest, and he's the only one without a life vest. The problem is that the camera's never off the two of them, so it wasn't really necessary to have him not have a life vest. The floating thing, did you ever see the Mythbusters episode, or have you ever seen the TV show Mythbusters? I, I know what Mythbusters is, but I've not seen that episode, no. Yeah, because they actually tested this, uh, you know, with the same type of wood with, you know, uh, they actually use two heavier people because it's the host of the show, and obviously they're larger than Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet. <laughs> but they tested this, and uh, that's kind of where James Cameron's response of, yeah, I understand, you know, we, we actually did get it wrong. Uh, but it is interesting to watch them test this. Now, when people criticize this movie, w- w- here's where I'm going to come to the defense of the movie and even James Cameron. This is what people choose to criticize about this movie. This is a... I, I, I guess it's a prop that's used for dramatic purpose. Jack has to die at some point in this movie. Maybe he doesn't have to die, but it's going to be the most effective end of the movie. I'm not even going to argue that he has to die. It's it's a more effective dramatic ending for this movie. And you don't need to know they're happily ever after the way that Pearl Harbor did it. Pearl Harbor actually messed it up even worse because Pearl Harbor killed the likable guy and then kept the unlikable guy around. Josh Hartnett but, dies, doesn't he? Ben Affleck survives. Yeah, I think exactly. Way it's been a long yeah. time since the pillar, but not Josh Hartnett. Holding and a top drop of 2001 to 2003. <laughs> yeah, don't want to spoil this for anybody, so tune out if you have never seen Pearl Harbor and actually care to see it. But <laughs> Josh Hartnett's about to have a baby with Kate Beckinsale, and he dies, and his dying wishes that Ben Affleck takes his girl and raises his kid for him. Don't you like, love how that, that movie speaks volumes of the year it was released, when Kate Beckinsale and Josh Hartnett were a thing? 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, Kate Beckinsale can still be a thing. She should I like still Kate Beckinsale. I, nothing against her. I like but Josh I mean, Hartnett too. I, I mean, mean he's, he seems a nice guy, but I mean, yeah. like, honestly, I think I've had more success in movies since he and since 2000. I mean, Kill Phil was more successful than anything he's released since 2005. You know, there's one movie I bring it up to you all the time, and we will find a way to randomly cover this. One of my favorite movies of all time, Lucky Number 11 with Josh Hartnett. <laughs> it would totally turn anybody around on Josh Hartnett if I ever saw it. I, th- I think we need to have a career revival of Josh Hartnett and Brandon Routh in a movie, like a <laughs> yes! buddy cop movie, to a completely like Ben Affleck got his career quite revived. He was kind of a joke for a long period of the 2000s, and now he's like basically back to A-list status. So why can't we have Josh Hartnett, Brandon Ralph, Billy Zane, um, Arnold Vosloo? If anybody, had, if anybody had actually paid to see Scott Pilgrim versus the world, they would love <laughs> Brandon Ralph because he's amazing in that movie if you've ever seen that. Uh, but this whole thing about them not fitting on there, I mean, it's, it's dramatic for one, but also the, the one thing that's taken out of the equation here when everybody tries to argue it's possible for them to do it, they tried for a second and it they started did, yeah. to tip. And if you are Jack and you truly do love this girl that you probably don't even know, you know, her birth date, her last name, anything, uh, would you want to take the risk or would you be like, you get on there, we'll figure it out later, you know? It's the most gentlemanly thing he does almost. Like, I mean, you're talking about like how, uh, you know, Cal, he's a gentleman, you know, he's giving everything Mm -hmm. to Rose. I mean... Let's be honest. I mean, Jack's doing exactly what Cal sort of does for most of this in yeah, some exactly. weird way. So yeah. So even if they do both fit on there, he's he doesn't know that. And we're talking about panic. Everybody's going to be panicking at this point. It's so easy. Are people going to go back and criticize? You know, the passengers that took over United ninety three because they somehow didn't land the plane. I mean, <laughs> in that moment, you do what's necessary to save the most amount of lives, and yeah. you know that's what he's doing here. So. I'm not going to criticize that. I've always liked the fact that he dies in the end of this movie, not just because he's kind of annoying in the movie, <laughs> but just that I feel like it's the most appropriate ending. Uh, I'm guessing we'll talk about the whole rescue thing. Well, I guess we'll talk about the rescue, but the You wanted to mention time. about Molly Brown's, the boat? Yeah. You wanted to, yeah. You oh, that's right. Now. Thank you. I yeah. would have forgotten otherwise. See, look, I remember these things. Something. I really don't care about Molly Brown. <laughs> I don't remember Victor Garber's name, but I remember that bit that you said you wanted to talk about. Fair enough. Uh, first of all... Th- did you recognize the guy, um, one of the lifeboat captains here? Uh, that is, uh, yeah, he became, um, well, I know he became Horatio Hornblower, but he's also in the yeah. Fantastic Four. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 I, I've, yeah exactly. I, I did recognize him and I looked him up because I'm like, hey, I know him. I knew him because my dad used to watch Hornblower, but I obviously, yeah, Fantastic Four because he was, was he Mr. Fantastic or? Well, no. yeah. He was, yeah, yeah okay. Yep. And also, TV show that we both love that we'll cover one of these days, Unreal. He was on yeah. that as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. He was too. You're right. Yeah, Ewan Gruffin. I mean, I love the guy. He's he's one of my favorite actors that most people don't know who he is. You know, I love the Horatio Hornblower show. Uh, I love the TV show he did that only lasted a season forever. I thought he was pretty good in the Fantastic Four movies. I don't have a lot of complaints about Fantastic Four. It is what it is. But I, li- I like those, yeah. yeah Mom was in those. He was Doctor Doom. Yeah, <laughs> Julia McMahon, Chris Evans, Jessica Alba. You can't yes. complain about the cast. Well, I don't like Jessica Alba, but that's another story. But anyway. Well, I mean, there's, there's reasons, to like her, <laughs> reasons not to like her. But anyways. Um, James Cameron does, Dark Angel. It's, uh. <laughs> it's just, it's a cool moment to see this actor who would actually go on to a lot of success yeah. in this tiny role. But he actually is pretty decent here, and there's not a lot to work with. Uh, the, the whole Molly Brown scene, you kind of mentioned it, and it makes total sense. If they did follow her instructions, they are all dead. And that goes back to the scene earlier on, which they kind of tried to make the guy an idiot for saying, or where he's not letting the people on the lifeboats, or is like, you know, do it in your turns and he's pulling the gun. 
if all these people flood on there, they are all dead. And you're talking about people drowning in the ocean. And uh, what is it? I I can't even remember where I heard it, but I'm sure everybody sort of heard the study that the number one fear people have of death, the most terrifying idea of anybody dying is actually drowning. People Mm -hmm. are more afraid of drowning than being shot or stabbed or anything else. So imagine the fear these people have, like they are all dead. And the way they try to play this ending where she's she's so smart. No, you have to listen to her because she's the unsinkable Molly Brown. She's Kathy Bates. And then the way they have it, there was so much room on the boats. They're all they, 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 they're all dead now. It was too late. We waited too long. No, if you had gone any earlier, then you're all dead. It's just mm-hmm. this movie did a pretty decent job of taking a lot of the criticisms. There are dumb things they do, like blaming every rich person and blaming everybody involved with the ship. But they do a good job of, I guess, dispelling some of the myths people had over the years that some of the things that were to blame, like they don't really heap a lot on the captain here uh, in, in comparison to the way that, you know, past movies or past stories would. But why of all times in this movie to criticize anybody, criticize the only moment where they probably saved the lives, the, the very few people who actually lived here. How many people, you mentioned how many people died. How many people actually lived uh, 706. Okay, that number is zero if these lifeboats go back. <laughs> mm-hmm. No question about it, it's zero. They're all dead. Um, but it, it's still a good scene, not the scene where she's telling them to go back, but when they do go back and they're searching the water and you, you did the great impression. You do it again. Uh, I just want to hear go your take. Go back, go back. That's not going to be my ringtone, but <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> you worry, man. Uh, Who's that, Colin? Who's ringing you? Oh, it's just Kate Winslet. <laughs> I just—it impresses me because anybody who's listened to our other shows long enough knows that is the single best impression you've ever done, and it's Kate Winslet. It's Titanic. <laughs> My Tony impersonation from Survivor is brilliant. You shut up. Uh, uh, but it's—it's it's still a good scene, and it's because it plays out for a little while too. You know, are they going to hear? I can see why a lot of people. Uh, not only like the scene where, you know, she lets go of him, but even where she gets rescued, I guess there are some effective scenes in this movie. I just feel like there's so so few and far between. There's Sven. Going back to my random Josh Brolin love, and I mentioned the movie W, um, Ian Grufford played uh, Tony Blair in W. I forgot that. There you go. Um, Yeah. Daniel Riddick in San Andreas with The Rock. (laughs) Disaster movie icon. I love San Andreas. I haven't seen that in a while, actually. Um... He was the one he gets. Isn't he the asshole one that takes uh, the Rock's wife away or something like that? Isn't he? I, like the... I gotta be honest. I started watching it and fell asleep. It's not. There was a problem with the movie. I was trying to fall asleep and I put it on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. So I still haven't finished it. I think he's the asshole. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's um, San Andreas. Oh, I was coming soon. Um, <laughs> I. I, I... As, as much as I love this movie, as much as I cry at Jack dying and all this sort of stuff, I think this movie doesn't work if Jack survives. I think Jack has yeah, to it die. Doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it that's doesn't have the same gross. effect. Yeah. That's that's half the appeal of this movie and kind of, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio dies, um, which isn't that uncommon. But, yeah, I think that, um, it yeah, it, it, it does not work. Uh, and I think Pearl Harbor can get away with it because there's obviously more of a love triangle. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I know you could argue it's sort of a love triangle here with Cal, but it's not really. I mean, it's, it's you know... It's not a will yeah. they, well, who will she end up with? It's like, fuck you, Cal, end up with Leo, whereas Pearl Harbor, it's like, oh, Josh Hart and Ben Affleck, oh, every girl's dream in 2001. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely, I think he has to die. Um, and, like, yeah, I, I, I 
I, do you at least think that the special effects hold up? Because I think these look amazing, this boat sinking. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, 20 years on, this just looks absolutely amazing. So Yeah, and there are some effects that don't hold up as well. And, and I hate when people say, oh, those effects don't hold up. I remember this probably was 20 years ago when somebody was saying this, or at least 15 years ago, and they were talking about, like, the, the Star Wars, you know, Episode 1, 2, and 3 and how much better the effects are. I was like, when you go back and you watch... Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the effects are so weak. And I'm like, you have to look at it in context of the time it's in. And there's nothing 10 years after those movies that comes, nothing 15 years after that comes close. And the fact that these effects only now, 20 years later, are starting to look a little bit dated, yeah, you can give it credit for the effects. I had somebody recently say to me uh, that Jurassic Park had fake-looking dinosaurs. And Mm. let's be honest, I completely blocked that person from my life because, uh, (laughs) fuck you... It's like one of the most offensive things somebody's ever said to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, again, we talked a little bit about the practical effects that they use in this film, and it's, it's actually very limited CGI in this movie. Uh, and what we do see of the CGI, I think, holds up so well. I mean, that boat sinking, I mean, that just looks absolutely incredible. Um, so, yeah, I just want to, I didn't really mention on that, but props to that. Uh, one thing I just, we're going to conclude this. This is why we get so sidetracked we're going over four hours here. But, like, I just... I want to just mention the one scene that I forgot that I kind of always, like, loosely laugh at, even though it's not actually funny, is uh, the scene when Rose is trying to find Jack when he's locked up um, in the the Master of Arms section, and she finds Victor Garber, and he's like, oh, you know, where would they keep a prisoner? And he's like, okay, you take a left down there, take a right down there, then you turn left at the troll, make sure you go under the bridge, answer three questions, and do a merry little dance. Before you do that, make sure you recite the entire alphabet and finish, and then strip naked and get drawn naked again. Uh, then you will get to a road. <laughs> like it's just, how does she remember all of that? I just love that random scene. Um, so obviously we're, yeah, we're flash forward now. Old Rose is back. Yay. Um, Academy Award nominee, Gloria Stewart. Um, we, we do, of course, hear the, the tragic story that she says out of, you know, all the people that went into the water and his six were saved. That's, that's terrible. Uh, and then what does she say? Like when, you know, when they're in the lifeboats, you know, we wait to die, wait to live. And it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of like a nice harrowing store a nice harrowing that doesn't make sense uh you know obviously of the fate of these people because as i mentioned before how there was a boat nearby that could have rescued a lot of these people quicker but i mean it did take a long time for a boat to find these people uh and then of course uh you know we see sort of just these shots of her on the the rescue boat um and then we see cow uh, looking around and what does that person say i don't think you'll find any of your kind here it's all steerage um, and then Rose, like, you know, hiding from, uh, Cal, which is kind of, you know, sweet that Cal's looking, but you know, she's not going to like all of us. I mean, how would that movie be? Cal, I was wrong. <laughs> like, <Yeah. take> me <laughs> back. I've had my fun. Um, but I mean, we just get the throwaway line that Cal eventually commits suicide in uh, 1929. Oh, that bothers me so much. I, yeah, I'm not, a, I, that always makes me sad. It, 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 I'm not, this has nothing to do with the character. It's again, just... James Cameron's inability as a writer to really make anybody a hero just on their own merits in in maybe a subtle way and to make anybody a villain in a subtle way that he has to take a character in a movie where over a thousand people have died and say, it's okay because the bad man that slapped a girl once, he killed himself years later. Why why do that? It's also, did you ever see like the remake of the Poseidon Adventure, Poseidon? Uh, I think I've had... don't think I've actually seen the original, sadly. But fell yeah, no, asleep I, I, one night when it was on Netflix. <laughs> that movie was... Um, yeah, no, I've seen it, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it, the the reason I can't consider that a true disaster movie is because you, when you look at disaster movies, they're not about good guys and bad guys. It's about people, and this is one of my complaints about Titanic. It should just be about people who are caught in the situation. They have no control over it. You sh- you could still feel for Cal, regardless of how bad of a person he is, because this would have been terrifying for anybody. And the problem I had with the movie Poseidon, which is why I can't consider that a true disaster movie, is that they took a character that was supposed to be unlikable, and there was the moment where he dies, and as the audience, it's almost like encouraging you to cheer for somebody dying in a disaster movie. It's not a true disaster movie if you're encouraged to like the fact that somebody dies in the end. That's kind of like, this is a weird sort of tangent. I know you're a fan of Deep Blue Sea, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like how, what's that's the like name? Guilt, that's yeah, different from a disaster movie. Yeah, I know, I know that. But like, what's what's that main woman that she sacrifices? Like, you meant to root for oh, her? Oh yeah. Like, but because she's kind of the the evil person who created the evil sharks, how she yeah, kind of sacrifices herself. Yeah, and the audience cheers when she dies. always bo- I can't wait till we do that because yeah. that always bothers me. That death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically everyone in that movie dies except for two people. <laughs> so LL Cool J being one of them. Thomas <laughs> Jane, another one of the unsung heroes. <laughs> Oh, whoever thought that, yeah, those two are the ones. That, anyway, that's, oh, I can't wait to do that. That's a good movie. They're making a second the one. Real, that's the real Jack and Rose of the 90s. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Oh, what a good Thomas movie. Thomas Jane and LL Cool J over Jack and Rose forever. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Team Thomas LL. Uh, <laughs> everyone thinks LL Cool J and uh, Chris O'Donnell have a good bromance. No. <laughs> Stuff NCIS LA. It's not even... How is that a show? I mean, NCIS is meant to be about, like, Navy shit. They're in LA, like, hanging sunglasses. Like, no. Stupid. Uh, anyway, uh, so <laughs> we obviously just get the closing bits here where Rose, we see her with the Statue of Liberty, and she says her name is Dawson, Rose Dawson. Now, am I the only one at this point who is like, when they're going to look at the survivors' names, and then they're going to look at the list of passengers, they're going to come across Rose Dawson as a survivor, yeah. and then they're going to go, hang on a minute, there's no Rose Dawson. How did she get on the boat? Like, yeah. <laughs> like is that not a problem for people? So, does oh. like, Rose DeWitt Bacada's family in, like, that think she's dead, but Rose yeah, like, Dawson survived? We have no closure for the fact that her mother, who we've already been told is pretty much helpless without her, Believes her to be dead. Exactly. Like, <laughs> why is the mother dumped on now? There's, I mean, there's the scene that ends this movie, which I'll get to in about three hours' time. Uh, that kind of, <laughs> there's a bit of a question involved in that with the mother because, yeah, you're like you're right. There's no closure with her mother, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, okay, we kind of get this bit of a storyline that they're a little bit, you know, she's a little bit anti her mum because she's, you know, going along with what she wants. But are we surely not led to believe that? They're not going to come together at some point. Does she go the rest of her life never talking to her mother and her mother yeah. assuming she's dead? Yeah. I mean, really? Like, why? Her mother wasn't that bad. Um, so, I mean, she. I reckon her mum hooked up with Cal. Let's be honest. <laughs> and then you she inherited I mean. his fortune when he killed himself. Well, yeah. there was no fortune because he lost it all in the stock market <laughs> crash. So not uh, only does Cal have to be killed in the end, he has to be poor by the end too. Yeah, uh, we then obviously get kind of just this whole the bit with, you know, overweight, bearded Kevin Bacon. We never found anything on Jack. Well, you wouldn't, would you? Like, I do kind of like that. I was like, duh, we've spent three hours hearing this story that Rose <laughs> wasn't even there for, that poor Sven missed out on his seat on the boat because Jack stole Sven's ticket to America. Of course you're not going to find anything. Just, this is where I want him to turn around and go, oh, we found a record on Sven. <laughs> <laughs> Could we just have a recut of the how it ended or how it began, just do one? of those where it's like let me tell you a story and then she starts telling the story it's like wait a second 
you're telling us something, but you weren't there. And the guys just <laughs> immediately interrupt. It's like, this story makes no sense. I, yeah, for sure. And like, they're, they're like as you know, I love this movie. There's so many things that I like that you don't like. The one bit that always grates me and it just shits me. And this is Gloria Stewart. This is where, like, I agree with you. She shouldn't have been nominated for an Oscar because I think she's terrible the way she acts this bit. Is where she gets here and she's like, a woman's heart is as deep as the ocean of secrets or whatever she says. And it's like, I've never spoken of him before, not even to your grandfather. It's like, really? So, like, this absolute darling of a guy who broke your heart and just the story that you're telling people for three hours from, you've held on to this for this long? You've had all these other erotic encounters post-getting drawn naked and you've led this amazing life? Yet Jack, who is apparently the love of your life because soon when you may or may not die in your bed, we'll get to that soon, and you're kind of getting a flashback to what your idea of heaven is, is just you and Jack. So fuck every other member of your family and your mother and everybody else your granddaughter who's there on the boat trying to hook up with Billy P- Bill Paxton what? like why are you only saying this now if he's such an impact on your life I mean come on and what's the story that she gives about where the name Dawson comes from then <laughs> exactly and also you got to look at it like the Titanic is such a famous story she mm. would be a celebrity in many ways because she is a Titanic one survivor one of the six survivors here they're like we can't find any information on him well, how much information do you find on one of the six survivors on here, you know? Exactly. And, like, the last the last Titanic survivor, I think, died in, like, 2012, I think. She was only, like, one of the little girls. Uh, 2009, actually. So the last actual living survivor of Titanic was Eliza Gladys Milvina Dean, who was a baby on the Titanic. She was two months old. So, I mean, in 1997, there would have no doubt been a few more survivors of this in real life. And I'm, I don't doubt they would have been very much celebrities in their own right. I mean, as a journalist, as, a, as you know, somebody in the media, if I was at a live at a time where Titanic survivors existed, I'd love to interview a Titanic survivor. I mean, that in itself. So she's in itself a bit of a celebrity. So surely she would have been interviewed at some point over these 80 years of her life and why would she have not told this story? How did you survive, Rose? Oh, just luck. <laughs> <laughs> and if Jack, they couldn't find anything on Jack, then why wasn't everybody in that ship knew who, where Jack was all the time? Hey, can you tell me where Jack is? Yeah, he's right up there. Yeah. <laughs> like, everybody knows Jack. And the thing is, like, would Cal not have, Like, how does Cal explain this story when he gets back to New York? Like, oh, what happened to your beloved fiancé, Rose? You're going to have your, your engagement party this weekend. She died. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh... Were you not with her? No, she's dead to me. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Did some random American guy? No. <laughs> Never. Like, I don't know. And, like, there's there's another sort of theory that's always gone on the internet about the fact that this never happened and that Rose kind of... Your little old lady Rose created this story as fiction to make herself feel better. Um, and kind of that, you know, because she was the slave to, you know, the rich society, that this was her sort of mental way of making it a happy time on the boat where everyone died. So it's kind of like a weird fan theory that this is just all in her head and that Jack never existed. So um, I don't know if that makes it better for you, Colin, or not. Probably I'm not. I'm liking that, yeah. <laughs> um. But ultimately, this leads us to a uh, nice little scene with Bill Paxton and cheap Helen Hunt that, uh, you know, he's... he's, he's, he's <laughs> who, is, who is this woman? Isn't <laughs> this the woman, like, I remember at the time, I'm pretty sure... Susie James, Amos. Didn't she Whoever marry James Cameron or something? Did she? I don't know. Did she? I'm asking you. She did, yeah. She still is married to James Cameron. Yeah, because I remember at the time Holy this shit. came out... 
he had had an affair with her and divorced his wife at the time this movie came out. Yeah. You're not wrong. Uh, Susie (laughs) is an American environmental advocate, former actress, and former model. Um, It was Linda Hamilton. He divorced Linda Hamilton for his mistress on the set of this film. Uh, yeah. It doesn't say anything on the one I'm reading about Linda Hamilton, but I know that, yeah, but I don't... Yeah, that's who he was with when he made the movie. You know, the funniest thing about this is that I say cheap Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, uh, (laughs) you know, Helen Hunt. She actually was in a movie called Twister. (laughs) (laughs) 1989 Twister. I don't know what the hell that is. Uh, It's another tornado movie. Oh, my God. Twister is a 1989 comedy film (laughs) That's the greatest poster I've ever seen. It's a family sitting on a couch. Us have been sucked up in a twister. Shot in Wichita, Kansas. That is hilarious. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's got Tim Robbins in it. What? Chris McGlover's in it. We are so Dylan doing that Mc- movie. Dylan McDermott. We're Dylan McDermott. <laughs> Dennis Leary. Uh- <laughs> Look, and it's based on Mary Robinson's 1981 novel. Oh! <laughs> With an exclamation mark. Oh! Oh, my God. Anyway. Uh, that was worth six hours of podcasting on Titanic right there. <laughs> Susie Amos robbed of her Academy Award nomination. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, we get uh, the because we, we need closure with uh, Brock Lovett um, trying to find the damn diamond. Do we not just want a scene at this point where Rose goes, "Oh, by the way, here's the diamond," yeah. <laughs> because we obviously now get this sequence where uh, look, we need the closure of the diamond, I guess. Little old lady we, Rose, well, apparently, there's a diamond at this point in the movie. Little old lady Rose has to climb to the back of the boat where her poor old fragile feet, her 101-year-old feet, are apparently still stable enough to stand on that tiny little <laughs> metal bar. That always gives me like, ugh, how does she do it? Now, my biggest question here, she's got the the necklace, which she's held on for 87, 84, however many years it's been, 83 years, 85 years, um, which looks as shiny as it was in 1912. She's kept this secret. She could have, like, financed, you know, her dear, beloved granddaughter's life on this thing. If it's worth more than the Hope Diamond, this thing is worth millions upon millions of dollars. Somehow, because we get the little flashback to when she's in New York, she puts a hand in her trench coat and pulls this out. Now, she's been sucked underwater. She has been floating through all these other water. How the hell has that stayed in her pocket that whole time? Was there even a button on that pocket? But this is, even if there was, like, unless there's a zip on that pocket, I don't think was a zip invented in 1912. I don't know. Like, yeah, there's like, no way she has it. That that that's something that to me, like, you're going back to how people have complaints about this movie, but oh, they both would have floated on the thing. That to me is a bigger plot hole than then would they floated on the thing? How the fuck does that stay in her pocket? Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of bullshit, she drops it at the bottom of the ocean. You stupid what old is woman. This ending, like, why did James Cameron think this is what the audience wanted to see? This is the one thing that even the biggest defenders of this movie will all be like, "Why does she drop it?" I know. What a terrible I, ending. The one, the one thing though that I always get out of this is that. If Brock doesn't give up, he's now going to find the diamond because it's on the bottom of the ocean, hopefully near the Titanic. Um, Yeah, I just, like, as much as I love this movie, it just makes me mad. It's like, this is probably worth, like, half a billion dollars and you're about to die in your sleep, apparently? Like, your poor granddaughter, 
has to marry James Cameron because he's got no money. (laughs) Whereas, like, she could have had money if you'd given her the fucking diamond. And let's be honest, James Cameron was unemployed after this movie for 20 years. He didn't get another job for two decades. Uh, and then it closes out. We see Rose in her sleep, which we'll get to in a second. We see, I do like the shot when, look, going back, we jilled over the fact I can't travel anywhere without my pictures. Um, but like, I, I, you probably think it's cheesy, but I like the fact that we kind of get this sweeping shot of her, like, you know, she's ridden the horse. She's gone to Santa Monica Pier. It's kind of like, oh, how sweet. Uh, again, she doesn't have any photos of anything else in her life. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else in her life does not matter, even though she's never told the story. She's a very close woman, Rose. She wasn't on the boat, clearly. <laughs> um, but then um, we get, obviously, this uh, sequence. We go back underwater and we see kind of... I like the transformation of like the, the wreckage into what it was. And then they're all on the stairs. And this is kind of like her vision of heaven or whatever it is. And she's there with Jack and makes out with him. And all the people from the boat are watching on. Now, look, oh, I want to say... Dumb. Like, yeah, like, just bear with me here because you're going to groan what I say at first. <laughs> I like it in how it ends in terms of the music and the way it kind of works. And it feels like it's a, I think it ends nicely. And it's, to me, I like it. However, if you got to analyze it, it's bullshit. Because, like, again, as I was saying, are these the only people in her life that have mattered? That, yeah. again, she has not talked about this for 85 years. Um, and yet Jack is the only one. Again, she's obviously gotten married at some point because she's got a granddaughter. She's had multiple sexual experiences with more erotic than being drawn naked as a 17-year-old on the Titanic. So she's a bit of a hussy. And, like, she's obviously got all these other people in her life that are important. Her mother, like, there's nobody else here except for Jack. You know, cap- the captain of the boat's there. Who did she meet at all? I think she walked past him at some point. Um, you know, like, Victor Garber's there and... Fabrizio's there, I think, and fucking um, but uh, where's where's Sven? Sven's well, she never met Sven. Remember, even though she remembers the story. <laughs> uh, imagine if this story. Imagine if Sven went on the boat. And this is a love story between Rose and Sven. Do you think yeah. it would be the same? The names um, have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't. Yeah, just you analyze it now. And of course, people were wondering about the theory I was sort of mentioning there about her sleep. Um, it's the ongoing theory of whether or not she dies. In, like that shot of her on a, in a sleep is she's dead and that's why she kind of has this vision or she's just sleeping. And this is one that James Cameron gets asked about all the time and James Cameron has said he'll never reveal. He knows he knows the answer, but he said he's deliberately left that open to interpretation to whether you think she's dead or not. So uh, I think she's dead. That's my opinion. <laughs> I don't know I what you think. Dead. You hope she's dead. <laughs> hey, old lady from Titanic, you're sting. Um <laughs> But yeah, that's the end of Titanic. Finally, oh, although we do, have, we do of course get my heart will go on. I just want to. We'll mention that in, I guess, the the awards section. But yeah, anyway, that's that's Titanic. Four hours yeah. later, we're there. Um, her dropping this, you mentioned like she could have, you know, given this to her grandchildren, lived off of it. Let's just assume she wants to live this poor life that Jack really. Uh, uh, promoted for her you know and got her excited about being poor is great because poor people never do anything wrong but let's look at mr bill paxton and fat bearded kevin bacon and all these other guys they don't make a lot of money like these are scientists these expeditions or whatever are funded by other groups and these people usually make no money at all they're out of the job now the entire purpose of this expedition was not to see the titanic we're told right at the beginning of this, it's about that diamond. And, oh, okay, we're going to get the diamond. We're going to get the diamond. When they don't come back with a diamond, they're out of the job and they're never working again. She has ruined the lives of every person on this boat, every person on this crew 
She's ruined their lives forever. They're unemployed because she couldn't be like, I got the diamonds. You want to do something with it? Why does she drop it? Like, oh, there's no reason. It's just her messing with everybody. And it makes no sense. It's like James Cameron's thinking about, I don't know how else to end this movie. Let's have her drop it. The audience will buy anything I feed to them at this point. And of course they did in 1997. <laughs> and then let's end it with the nice dance around the staircase or whatever. Because, of course, no other person in 1912 on board the Titanic mattered other than Jack and Rose. Let's have the very last image be every person on board worshipping the ground Jack and Rose walk on. It's just nauseating. Yeah, I, I can't really disagree with a whole lot there. <laughs> even though I, I do like a bit of it, as I said there, but, you know... Um, it's a little bit off, but uh, there you go. Titanic, uh, again, we've, we've obviously separated this into a few different parts for you guys to listen to. Yeah. Obviously released on the same day, but I mean, this is clearly our longest episode. But just obviously, we just get to a few things we always do at the end of these, of course, in terms of our box office reception awards, everything along those lines. And I mean, you know, there's, there's a bit here to talk about with Titanic in, in terms of, of course, that yes, uh, this did go on to become the most successful film of all time, at least until Avatar. It overtook Jurassic Park. And, uh, I mean, the, the most interesting thing I find about Titanic's success is that it wasn't a huge hit straight away. It took a while for it to kind of really take over. And then I think it was, was it out for about a month before it kind of finally went to number one and then it stayed oh, there for like 500 it, months or something like that? It actually opened at number one because I remember this very vividly because they, they, most of the hype about Titanic before it came out was on how over budget it was and this could end up being a bigger flop than Waterworld. Then the reviews came out and they're like, well, it's pretty good. Let's see what happens. But this opened against Tomorrow Never Dies, which, you know, you can hear a lot about on uh, 007. <laughs> But, John Tenney much prefers um, Titanic. Yeah, yeah, it was always John <laughs> Tenney's dream to marry a Titanic girl. <laughs> he had to settle for a Bond girl, sadly. <laughs> but those two movies opened against each other, and it was like, will it be Bond or Titanic? And the weekend it opened, Titanic won, I think, by only $2 million. So Tomorrow Never Dies was like number two, and Titanic was number one. And those two movies were kind of the top two. It, it, what happened was that Titanic kind of made the same amount of money every single week. It was never out of number one for like uh, two and a half months. But it, it the, the thing is, is you look at its opening weekend to its eighth or ninth week opening or uh, weekend after it had been out, and it's virtually the same box office gross every time. So it wasn't like it was a $50 million, $60 million opening. It's just it was consistent every single week and never left number one. Which is, is crazy to think that. I mean, you, would you get that nowadays? I don't think you would, would you? Well, um, I think Avatar did like seven weeks. The Force Awakens did maybe four or five. I mean, we're, it's also a different age too. And this is one of the reasons why people say like, no movie has ever been bigger than Titanic or Avatar. And I point out the release date. You look at what The Force Awakens did. And yeah. it's normal for a movie to open in December and be number one for weeks because nothing comes out in January and nothing comes out in February. Now, there's more coming out now than there was even in 2009 with Avatar. But back in 1997, I mean, it would be interesting to look at, you know, maybe I'll look that up while you're giving your other facts to see what movies opened against Titanic. You know, is it that impressive it was number one for 10 weeks? Well, it was the biggest film of all time. But if this had come out in July, when I think it was originally scheduled for, because they delayed it several months, if it opened in July, it never goes on to become the highest grossing movie of all time. And one thing that I think is always important, which, I mean, it's always interesting when you see these, you know, highest grossing movies of all time. And obviously, you know, you, you look at ticket prices and things like that. You mentioned before about Avatar, about how, you know, you basically increase the price of movie tickets based purely on Avatar. 
I, I think it's always important to look at the whole uh, adjusted for inflation list, which I think a lot of yeah. people don't do as much as they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, at the time, obviously, number one. But, I mean, if you look at the adjusted for inflation list, I mean, this is only fifth overall. This still actually beats Avatar. Uh, and Because you also compare that to tickets sold. I mean, looking at this, Gone with the Wind, adjusted for inflation, most successful. This is in the, the in US and Canada. I mean, adjusted for inflation, that's $1.7 billion, But you've got to look at the number of tickets sold. Mm-hmm. Titanic sold 135 million tickets. Gone with the Wind, 202 million tickets. The only yeah. film on this list to sell over two... I mean, that's... That's unfathomable. I mean, that, the population of the US is 350 million now. So, I mean, you think about the population of the US and Canada in 1939, that's pretty much every person in the damn country saw gone. The other there. thing to consider is, you know, what the economy was like in the 30s. It was not yeah. spectacular. And then you add, this is in the middle of World War II. There weren't exactly. a lot of people going to the movies. Like, it... It's not that Titanic, I'm not taking away from Titanic's achievement, but it's nothing compared to Gone with the Wind or Star Wars and, you know, how those movies dominated and everybody on the planet saw them. Well, uh, just to correct myself, the population of the US in 1939 was 130 million. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure the population of Canada was probably only, what, about 20 million back then too, Mm because I know you've only got about 30 million now. So, more tickets were sold than the population of Canada and the US combined to see... Uh, gone with the wind. So anyway, let's not to take away from Titanic's achievements because obviously, I mean, that still is a big deal. When it, whenever a movie does become the highest grossing film, and it was the very first bill, uh, film, I believe, to reach a billion dollars worldwide, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, uh, and it is one of only two films to ever make two billion dollars worldwide because with the re-release in uh, 2012 with 3D, it uh, crossed the two billion threshold, which only Avatar had achieved. So. No matter what you say about James Cameron, the fact that he holds the record for number one and number two, the only two films to re- uh, gross over $2 billion worldwide, it's a pretty amazing achievement. Just uh, uh, just before we move on, going through the box office weekends here, and again, I'm not taking away from what Titanic did. Titanic here in its fourth weekend made exactly the same as what it made in its first weekend, $28 million. So that's impressive. But you do have to consider competition. And this is more what I'm saying. Like if they had released this in July when they planned, this success never happens. Four weeks into Titanic's release, the first major wide release comes out post-Titanic, and it's Firestorm with Steven Seagal, which opens in seventh place. <laughs> uh, that and following weekend, no new movies out. The following weekend, Spice World. Oh. Uh, and Phantoms with Ben Affleck are the two that challenge. Um Great Expectations, Desperate Measures, Deep Rising, uh, We Have we, The Replacement Killers, Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, the Wedding Singer is probably the first movie that I guess, you know, really was an important movie to come out. And even still, Titanic Air, Week 9, $28 million still. And uh, I don't even know what Senseless is. Uh, Dark City, I'm on to week number 12. U.S. Marshals, now it's getting oh, close. Underrated Six- movie. 16 million to Titanic 17 million in week 12. Wow. Week 13, Man in the Iron Mask, only $500,000 off of Titanic. Leo versus Leo versus yeah. Leo. I mean, he was in that movie twice. So. Yeah, but I mean, if, if, if we look at the next weekend, and this is week 14, Primary Colors with John Travolta. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Flash still forward. 17 million still for Titanic. Next week, Grease re release, 15 to 12 for Grease. So Titanic still 15. Week number 16 is when Titanic was finally beat. And what does it get beaten by? Do you know the trivia here, Ben? The Men in Black? No, Lost in Space. Oh, what was I thinking Men in Black? That came out the year before. Wow, oh, there you go. That's interesting. 
So just I, showing. I thought Lost in Space was a bomb, but anyway. And I love Lost in Space. So do like, I. It's probably my favorite guilty pleasure movie of all time. But Lost in Space was the first movie to contend with Titanic. There wasn't a lot of competition in early 1997. It would be very different now. I was re- what was I reading? I think it might have maybe I'm thinking of this with Men in Black, but because um, I recently watched those, obviously I mentioned before um, that I think a lot of films were scared to go up against Titanic, and that's why a lot of them were kind of glad that they pushed it back because it was meant to come out in July, wasn't it? As you said, yeah. so um, yeah. So I mean, obviously, just how it came about and everything along those lines have gone over there. Um, I mean. Look, Academy Awards, it was well-documented. Uh, it, of course, at the time, equaled the record of 11 Academy Awards set by Ben-Hur. Of course, that has also recently been tied by uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. It's nominated for 14, which I believe is still a co-record. I know La La Land equaled that. Was Did Ben-Hur or was it... Did Ben-Hur it was all about that? Eve. Okay. Uh, but it, it but, so it won 11 of 14 that it was nominated for. And again, this isn't taking away from... Tit- I, mean, I, I think it should take away from Titanic's achievements because... There aren't a lot of people in 2017 that are saying Titanic deserved 11 Oscars or that it even deserved Best Picture considering the competition, which I'll mention again in a second. But Ben-Hur doing it years earlier, there were less categories back then. So I believe the true record is Ben-Hur. And, I mean, I would say even Lord of the Rings, that was kind of almost like a a collaborative for all three, wasn't it? A lot yeah, of people exactly. argued that it was robbed of, you know, that was kind of the per, the 11 for overall because it didn't really win a lot for the first two films. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so the 11 that it won, it won Best Picture, Best Director, Art Direction, Cinematography, Costume Design, Film Editing, uh, Original Dramatic Score, Original Song, Best Sound, Best Sound Effects, Editing and Visual Effects. The only ones that didn't win uh, with the best actress, best supporting actress, and best uh, makeup, and noted here that it was not nominated for Leonardo DiCaprio and best original screenplay, which uh, you say obviously oh. would be a right thing. The, the, I mean, I think this actually it was the very first film. This is an interesting little statistic where the it was nominated for two acting awards for the same character. So obviously, Gloria Stewart and Kate Winslet played the same character, just at yeah. different ages of their life, which I think is kind of a little fascinating one. Um, and I mean, outside of that, I mean, God, I won a shitload of other awards. I mean, it's been put on a bunch of best of lists of all time, of course. Um, and yeah, I mean, very, very successful. Clearly, uh, I mean, you wanted to mention something about the uh, the Oscars there. Well, I think? as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, people who are defenders of this movie need to look at what it was up against and say, even if you do love this movie, in what world can this beat LA confidential for best picture? You know, that's not even mentioning movies like goodwill hunting as good as it gets the full Monty, but LA confidential, especially like that's like one of top five movies of the decade. And I don't think there are many people out there who wouldn't argue LA confidential deserved best picture that year. And one thing that's interesting, our beloved Helen hunt actually won the best actress that year. being yep. Kate Winslet. And Judy Dench. <laughs> so, um, one thing, uh, just we haven't really. I mean, people probably don't give a shit about my heart. Will go on, uh, but I mean, I know we sort of mentioned one of our other episodes in terms of this uh, anniversary month. How we're going to be doing uh, these films, I guess, with iconic songs as well. I mean, my heart will go on is one of the most successful singles of all time. Uh, it won. Uh, not only obviously did it win the best uh, song at the Oscars, but. I think it won like record and song of the year at the Grammys. Like it was just, it was ridiculous how many awards this song fucking won. Um, and uh, yeah, actually looking here, it won record of the year, best female pop vocal performance, song of the year. It's very rare for a song to get record and song of the year. Um, and yeah, it won a shitload of Grammys. I, look, you're going to give me shit because I like Die Another Day. 
I fucking this is a real guilty pleasure song of mine. I fucking love My Heart Will Go On. Oh my god. It just this is one of these songs that I well, wish I could sing. Uh shut up. Dang on. Don't, just leave me alone for a moment. Let me have my moment in the sun before you completely shut me down. Um I, I mean I'm not the biggest Celine Dion fan. I've lost for me. Of- <laughs> Mr. Dion, if you listen, I'll wait for Dion. Um <laughs> Listen to 007 for dead Celine Dion husband jokes. Um, but, like, yeah, just there's something about this song that every time I hear it just gets me a little bit emotional. And I know it's kind of... I think the thing is, this is derided as a terrible song. Um, and so many people hate it because of just... I think it's more so... I mean, it was overplayed, you know? I yeah, mean- yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, it is definitely one of these over... I mean, when we get to Dirty Dancing, we get to Time of Your Life. I don't yeah. really think that's hated because that's kind of... That's one of these... Pl- everybody has it on their wedding playlist, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas this is kind of like, oh, God, not the song from Titanic. I think also one thing we should mention, though, it's almost become a bit of a meme recently, though, and that's where a lot of people... I don't know if it's kind of gone over to Canada, but a lot of... Especially here in Australia, they'll get, like, a scene and they'll say, this is more... This is better with the music from Titanic. So they'll get, like, an epic sporting moment where, like, you know, a, a, somebody wins a, a sporting match and then somebody dubs over the... You're here and I'm like that, it's actually really effective. So, like, oh, this scene is better with the music from Titanic. So, look that up. It's a funny meme. But, uh, yeah, I've said it. I love my heart. will go on. I've put that on record. Shut up, Ben. Uh, I'm going to... Um, this is me defending the song at all. It's it's not really my thing. We've had discussions before on Celine Dion. Her being Canadian, she's kind of like the Canadian that most Canadians say, I really wish that Celine Dion was a Canadian. And that and has... And Bieber and Nickelback, yeah, those are the ones we hate. The, the big ones are the ones we hate. But uh, in all honesty, I mean, she was huge at the time even before this song. Like, biggest singer in the world before the song even comes out. And I remember, uh, I think it was probably the year before this came out, there was that uh, movie Up Close and Personal she had another song from. Mm. And I thought that one was overplayed. But, like, this one, probably the most overplayed song in history. So I'm... I can understand people who say this is the most annoying song ever because I don't care what the song is. If it's played as much as my heart will go on, well, it, you can't blame somebody for hating it because it is so easy to get sick of this with the amount and, and how overplayed it was. But I'm not going to say it's the worst song in the world because if you're going to say this is the worst song in the world, then you're also saying James Horner's score is the worst score in the world. And the song is basically just James Horner's music with lyrics to it. You know, it's, there are a lot of theme songs to movies that take elements of the the score and work it in. Probably the only other song I can think of that did this, where it is like note for note a theme from the movie and then just lyrics to it, was The Perfect Storm when John Mellencamp did his version of My Heart Will Go On just to the theme from A Perfect Storm. So it's a James Horner thing, apparently, where you just completely write lyrics to his music so i can't really knock the song i mean if i ever do listen to the song you know i listened to the soundtrack probably about a year and a half ago and i didn't skip the song uh it's not like i'm sitting there getting emotional it's not like i ever go out of my way to listen to it but i can acknowledge good music because horner wrote good music one thing i mentioned with it uh james cameron was completely against having a song in the movie like this and basically after he heard james cameron's uh, Horner. James Cameron, James Horner's song, and then he heard Celine Dion's. He's like, "Oh yeah, we'll go with it." Uh, and another trivia thing: the, obviously, the one you hear in the credits is not the the pop release, but yeah. Celine Dion recorded this in one fucking sitting. So that what you hear at the end in the credits is the fucking demo, and then they obviously changed it slightly for a commercial release. 
Just just put that into context with Celine Dion. She can knock this out of the park and such an epic fucking song in one go. And like, but, I'm not the biggest Celine Dion fan in the world, but that is fucking yeah, amazing. Um, <laughs> but did she hit the note so strong that she herself passed out like Tom Jones <laughs> in Thunderball, the greatest theme ever? Not quite, but still. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird with Celine Dion. She's, yeah, kind of connected to my French hatred, uh, why that I don't necessarily like Celine Dion that much anymore, but I don't know. But interesting fact, too, the 11th most successful song of all time, and Colin Hilding, there's another Canadian in equal 11th from another movie. Could you, can you guess this? Uh, don't say Alanis Morissette in City of Angels. Oh, God, no. It's a male. He's got a penis. Uh, <laughs> Brian Adams, like the... everything I do, right? Yes, exactly. Surely you like Brian Adams, right? Everyone likes you, you, Brian Adams. Okay, here's the funny thing. That song was probably just as overplayed as my heart will go on, go on especially here in Canada. Uh, nobody ever gets sick of everything I do. Like, Brian That's... Adams is the greatest. There's Sven. Yeah, we all love Brian Adams. Anyway, all right. So <laughs> we've gone through all this. I think we're at the point now, finally, Colin has been waiting for me to say these words. Let's review Titanic. Uh, what rating will we give it? Bennett. Of course. <laughs> Sorry. Really? Not even straight away? It's going to like talk to our listeners here. Buy it, rent it, bin it. You're binning it straight away. Holy shit, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm binning this for my personal taste and what I believe should be the personal taste of anybody with taste. Um, wow. It's just, it's, let's let's be fair to the movie. I, mean, I feel like I've been fair to the movie. I've taken a lot of shots at the movie just for humor. I've also taken a lot of shots I believe are fair with this. Uh, but for the most part, I've acknowledged good things about this movie that I think are good. I just feel like the majority of it is not good and doesn't hold up and it doesn't appeal to me and the type of movie I personally would want. I, I think a buy it would be i think even a rented if i were to even say rented i would be acknowledging yeah i think that this is something that you know people would enjoy maybe there are people that enjoy it but i honestly don't believe this movie in 2017 gets anywhere near the reaction i don't think this is even a rent maybe it's a rented in 2017 uh i think it's a bin it now and i probably would have rented it in 1997 i'm binning it now just because i don't i don't get it i don't care for it i don't art does not go on for this well, mine does, and I care for it, and I get it, because I'm buying it. Uh. You may kill Phil volumes one and two. Yes, and <laughs> <laughs> I'd been to kill Phil volume one. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this movie. I can watch this movie and never get sick of it. I can watch it every day and never get sick of it. Um, call me whatever you want. I've been called every name under the sun with you on these podcasts. Um, I had the gay taste of a middle-aged man, whatever it was. Now I clearly have the, uh, the taste of a 14-year-old girl. And um, I am fine with that. I'd much rather be a 14-year-old girl than a middle-aged gay man. There's nothing against middle-aged gay men, but I basically am middle-aged and I'd rather be young against. So that's why I'd be a 14-year-old girl. Um, but yeah, look, this gets me emotional. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love Titanic. I'm buying it. So... <laughs> My heart will fucking go on forever and ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you have any, nothing else to add on Titanic? As in why I'm buying it or? Well, no, no, just. Uh, oh, you just want me to shut up doing an end this episode? <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about next week. Uh, I will utter these words, Colin, and I will throw this over to you then. I think we're done talking about Titanic. Oh, it almost feels like we've been talking about it for two weeks, to be honest. I don't know. Something funny there. <laughs> um, There's a bit of an in-joke there, isn't there? 
let's let you interpret it there. <laughs> they, they, they don't have to interpret. They've been listening to it for two weeks just to get through this. Can we just part- be honest and say why that is feeling that way? And the reason why we've delayed this like a week when we plan to, it has literally taken us about two weeks to record yeah. these in parts. This all right, people? One, one whole shot. I no. would love people to try to pick out where this episode starts and stops. There are at least this, four, this. I would say, I'll, I'll clue people in, four separate recordings we've done over the course of two weeks for what you've just listened to in the last year and a half of your life. Or long and, and, that's, and that's not down to like, you know, I was just like, I gladly would have sat down and done this in one sitting, but, you know, life gets in the way. Uh, life finds a way, Jurassic Park. But, um, like, <laughs> can we do Jurassic Park now? Uh, but, yeah, it's it really has just got to the point. And this is, I think, the first time. I think our Twister one took us about two or three goes just with everything, but the for joys of editing. In the middle of it. Yeah, we, we don't generally like to obviously, um, you know, let away our, you know, secrets. But uh, there you go. It has taken us uh, a good three weeks to basically record Titanic, which Colin is uh, amounting to the same as torture at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about next week because you mentioned a movie you could watch over and over and over again. And we, we have mentioned in past episodes what we plan to cover for anniversary month here. The one we're covering next may seem like the oddest choice. The oddest choice is going to come when we do Dirty Dancing, just because why would the two of us be talking? Well, why would I be talking about Dirty Dancing? We know why Ben might. But um, with this this next one, it it was more just we were looking for movies with anniversaries. And I noticed that this was the 25th anniversary of one of my favorite films of all time. And I'm talking like top five, like right up there with Star Wars and Superman and Jurassic Park and Indiana Jones is White Men Can't Jump. And it's a movie you've never seen. I think it's a movie a lot of people have forgotten. But even though this movie is probably even more dated in the time period because it takes place in 1992 and it looks very 1992 and it feels very 1992. In some ways, I feel like this is a timeless movie because it was so ahead of its time. You know, it's a sports story that's not really about sports stars. It's uh, a movie that kind of launched the careers of Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson and I think kind of put a new spin on the, the buddy film. Um, it's a comedy, but it's a drama. I mean, I'm, a, I'm really excited to see your take on this because I have so much nostalgia from this. I was a weird kid who was more into movies like White Man Can't Jump that were clearly made for adults than I was kids' movies I should have been watching. But, like, this is the movie. I've been thinking about this all day. We're finishing Titanic so we can record White Man Can't Jump. <laughs> and usually when we're getting ready to record a movie, you know, I may be excited to talk about it. I may be excited to watch it, but there's always that little bit of you're like, oh, it's going to be a lot of work to take the notes. When am I going to find the time to finish the movie? How long is it going to take us to record? There isn't one second of White Man Can't Jump that I'm not looking forward to. I am so pumped for this. And I think that's probably my opinion when I got into watching Titanic. <laughs> but yeah, look, I, look I, I, I don't know why I've never seen this movie. It's, it's not that I'm like, oh, fuck, I hate basketball. Oh, Wesley Snipes, tax cheat. Like, I, you know, I, I really... <laughs> It's one that I remember, like, growing up, being on TV and, like, just something that I've just maybe never watched. I'm looking forward to watching it because I have a very random... 90s, early 90s basketball movie that I love. No, not Space Jam, because I fucking love Space Jam. That's just kind of, you know, everybody sure. loves Space Jam. Uh, Eddie. Do you remember the movie Eddie? Eddie? <laughs> you say that like it's a good or a bad thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. It's just it's. I was expecting something a little cooler, but no, that's all right. I guess he's okay. I, I've got just like it's. If I had to like put my top twenty movies of all time, I would put Eddie in there. I just randomly love Eddie. You it's just like, took it's such a shot sh- at Whoopi Goldberg. Like, I actually <laughs> like Whoopi Goldberg. That's was my subtle little dig at Whoopi. Make better career choices, because like, I am a huge fan of Whoopi Goldberg. But like. I just, it's its the most outlandish, stupid possible storyline you could ever have that you're going to get a random fan from the stands and make them the coach of an NBA team. Um, but I just fucking love Eddie. But anyway, we're not doing Eddie. We're doing White Men Can't Jump. But I'm putting a plea out there that one day we can do Eddie. And we can talk about how Eddie launched the career of Rick Fox, the greatest Canadian yeah. basketball player. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to White Man Country. I am looking forward to it. I will say, uh, completely honest with you. And of course, um, still to come in anniversary month. I don't know if we've worked out the order of our last two, but uh, Face Off and uh, Dirty Dancing are to come. Maybe we'll say Face Off to last because we both love Face Off and we'll do Dirty Dancing after because we don't know what we think of of Dirty Dancing because you've never seen it either, have you? No, I've seen it many times. I have a wife. I've seen Dirty Dancing. And I grew up with a (laughs) sister. Look at you. I have a wife. It's it's impossible. I, I I think growing up, every girl that I knew watched Dirty Dancing, even though it was an older movie, like nineties, you know, early two thousands, like everybody watched Dirty Dancing. Maybe it was bigger here or something, but yeah, you oh, can't avoid it here. I think it's was bigger here. I guess the reason I haven't seen it is a I have a penis and b I was with somebody for eight years who didn't give really a shit about those types of movies. So um, that's probably why I've never seen it. And I mean, it is one of these movies, of course, that whether you've seen it or not, you know basically three things: uh, Patrick Swayze's a dreamboat, uh, don't put baby in the corner, and I've had a time of my life. So uh, it's kind of the, the interesting thing that I will find when we get to it is. Um, like it's it's gonna you're talking about like dated movies like with Titanic like this is kind of what that eighties craze of let's have the dancing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen half of um, uh, uh, Footloose, which is a story in itself, uh, and I'm like Kevin Bacon's number one fanboy. So I'll be intrigued to see if the half of Footloose that I've seen compares to <laughs> another eighties seminal classic of dancing. This in what Flash Dance? We really should be doing this as a dancing trilogy. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to just seeing what it's like. And of course, Face Off, it speaks for itself. It's a fucking amazing movie. And they actually yeah. recently just did an honest trailer for Face Off about two weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, no, um, not yet. Look it up. It's actually quite clever. But anyway, this is our longest episode. I think together it's about five hours long, but we've separated it into <laughs> two parts just for you. Because uh, even then, who's going to listen to them? But we've released it at the same time, so... Uh, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Uh, remember, if you like us, which you probably don't after this episode, uh, you can like us on Facebook, follow us, of course, on um, Twitter. And remember, we are available on iTunes to subscribe to and rate us while you're there, as well, of course, as Stitcher and Spotify. We're on YouTube as well, and we've got plenty of other shows, um, TV shows, obviously, that we cover, as well as our movies that we're moving forward with. My name is Ben, and Colin... It's been a privilege podcasting with you. And my name is Colin, and Ben, I want the last five hours back. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.